Good evening and welcome to Olos of Boomar Takes. This is our 239th take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azel, Texas. I'm your host, Barry Duplissy, as always, and I'm so proud, so pleased, and so privileged to be with you all tonight. This is going to be a fantastic show. I'm looking forward to it. I've been looking forward to it since the trade show happened. I wanted to wait my time. I wanted to get let him get all the busy stuff out of the way, get all the stress, de-stressed out just in time to get him re-stressed again because we're about to get the whole season started all over again. It's going to be fun and fantastic. But before we get to formal introductions of our guest of honor tonight, we do have to thank the people that make this show possible. And that, of course, is tonight's sponsors. And tonight's show is sponsored by Drew Estate. Back on January 11th, Drew Estate on their Freestyle Live broadcast uh, broadcast announced that they would be unleashing a brand new event campaign featuring Black and M81 swag, the debut of Deadwood Tobacco Company, Drew Estate Coffin Humidors, and the return of Liga Pravada, H9090, H99, Phineas Gage. Yes, the first Black and Cigars M81 by Drew Estate swag includes a blackened a uh, bottle carry bag, a guitar-shaped black and ashtray, which is very cool to honor Metallica co-founder, singer, guitarist, and blackened partner James Hetfield, and a blackened single flame lighter and a blackened cigar stand. The, the blackened swag will be available at all blackened cigars and many one Drew Estate events at your Drew Diplomat retailers, uh, and at, some may have already gotten their hands on stuff, so make sure that you Take a look at your local Drew Diplomat retailers. See when events are going to be happening and make sure to get your butts there and get some of this amazing swag, the incredible Deadwood Humidors. And if you're lucky enough to get an H99 Phineas Gage or two or 10, count your blessings because it's an awesome, fantastic cigar. So that is the latest from Drew Estate. And welcome, everyone. This is our two. 139 take it's my pleasure to inter- introduce tonight's guest of honor sponsored by united cigar smoke one today and start living united mr scott pierce of the premium cigar association scott how are you doing tonight i'm great bear thank you very much what a fantastic reading man that was great I feel like you've done this once or twice or 239 times. Yeah, I mean, it, it took me about 230 times to finally get a rhythm, but I feel like I'm in my own now. That's good stuff, you know. <laughs> I said this last time. I'm going to say it again, man. Uh, every time you have me on, the episode is a prime number. So uh, that's probably just oh, wow. that we got to you know keep it going. I'm, I'm pretty sure 239 <laughs> is a prime number. I don't know. I'm not a mathematician, but it seems like it should be a prime number at least. That's funny. Um yeah, I, that, that's not on purpose. That's just been that's just just pure damn coincidence. That's pretty cool, though. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, it, you know, it's it's so good to have you back. I, I know it's been a while since uh, that you've uh, been here um, to kind of sit down with me and everything. But uh, but I mean, a lot is I mean, a lot's happened since then. Obviously, we've we've had a trade show, and uh, but a lot of other amazing things have happened in the industry as well. So we've got a lot of stuff to cover tonight. Um, but, um, kind of always want to start things off what we, you know, what I've affectionately called the icebreaker and everything. So I just wanted to, uh, I wanted to take you back to, you know, we're, you're talking about, you know, Greg should have known better with this is pre-show. So before the countdown, so people who are actually listening to the podcast don't know what we're talking about, but yeah. you know, Greg hails from Pennsylvania, uh, you know, president of the board for PCA. And, uh, I know, so I wanted to take it back for a blast from the past from you as well. You attended George Mason university. Yes. And I, I was, it, I was actually having a conversation this morning with uh, with uh, a gentleman that I went to college with, and we we just happened to attend the same church and everything. And we were talking about how 
things that we liked in college, things that we didn't like and everything. And then like looking back on it and everything. So like, I thought, you know what, that's a, that's a fun thing to talk to you about. Uh, you know, George Mason is known for a lot of, a lot of great things and everything, but like, what did you love most about your time there? Like, what was the thing that you loved most about George Mason and what was the thing you didn't like the most? Um, the easy thing as far as the didn't like it, uh, traffic and parking was, was atrocious, right? I was a full-time student and working full-time at the same time when, oh, when man. I went there. So that's what I probably liked the least. I think what I liked the best is, um, I studied English, uh, and electronic journalism. It was one of the first electronic journalism programs in the country, right at the turn of the century, right? When they were do- doing it. Um, I started college a little late cause I, you know, my previous life, I, you know, I, I grew up and was raised Mormon. So I did the Mormon mission and then came back and, and did school. Um, and so I started a little bit late as far as that's concerned, but, um, I, I actually, I really enjoyed the, the time to be able to focus on things like writing, um, and learning, you know, the journalism I had sports journalism classes. And so it was a lot of fun. Um, and then they did the, they went to the final four when I was there. And so that was actually really cool. I did a class with Gabe Norwood, who, um, his brother, Jordan Norwood played receiver at Penn state went on his dad was a coach up there at Penn state as well. But, uh, Jordan went on to play in the NFL, but Gabe was the six man, uh, good kid. So it was a lot of fun being there at that time. And, and, uh, it's kind of when Notre, uh, Notre Dame, sorry. Um, uh, George Mason got a lot of, uh, you know, notoriety for going to the final four and a lot of people paid attention to it. And, uh, so it was a lot of fun. I think we talked about this before. I don't even think that I just, I think, I don't know why I think I just assumed maybe attended like just after, or just before I didn't realize you went, uh, were, were there for that run. That's awesome. God, that must've been just insane. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was at the very tail end. I mean, my, my last couple of semesters, like I said, I worked full time. So I was going to school mostly kind of in the evenings. Um, but I ended up uh, changing jobs and they said, yeah, go ahead and finish. And so, um, so there was a couple of days a week when I was taking like 15, 18 credit hours just so I could knock out the last two semesters. And it happened to be uh, when that happened. So that's awesome. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was, uh, it was crazy. Did you happen to go to any games that season or did you attend any? No, I was an old student, man. And I mean, I was most of those, most of them, I mean, they were kids to me. I mean, they they were only a few years younger, but it was just, I was a professional. Like I said, I was working, I was already working in association management and, and, you know, traveling and everything else. I'd already lived overseas. And so for me, I was just, I was just trying to get the degree. So I really didn't, that was probably the downside for me for college is I really didn't get the true college experience. Didn't live on campus. I wasn't, you know, I'd already kind of moved on, was already kind of an adult and was just kind of finishing up the classes. (laughs) Um, that's that's really uh no it's it's too bad it's funny you mentioned about the parking though because i think that's like the complaint of like every college student for every college <laughs> yeah. in america yeah. is the yeah. parking yeah I, it's like they uh, they all got to like the heads of colleges all got together and said what what are we going to do to piss off the students and it's just like let's just make car parking a bitch and then yeah. like they won't notice anything else we do yeah so. make, make them walk six miles <laughs> cross three main arteries of traffic to try to get here yeah have a shuttle run once every hour and 15 minutes. Perfect. Yeah. The, the, I remember the freshman, the freshman parking lot, uh, at TCU was just, I, I mean, I, I mean, it might as well have been on like in New Mexico. I mean, it just was so freaking <laughs> far away. I could not believe how far the had, parking to, lot. had to traverse Lubbock in order to get there. So your horn frogs, man. I mean, congratulations on a hell of a season. Yeah, they they uh, they had a really they had a really good run. You know, it was uh, I mean, it was something magic, something we've been, you know, that we've been hoping for. And, you know, every years we've gotten close and we always thought we got screwed or one way or another and stuff like that. And 
I, I couldn't, I honestly couldn't believe they let him in after that loss to Kansas state in the big 12 championship. I just, I was, I was shocked. I was absolutely yeah. shocked, but uh, yeah, they came through. They beat Ohio State and uh, met the, met the Georgia Bulldogs, but it's still a hell of a season. It's going to do wonders for the program. Yeah, yeah, it should. It should. Yeah, Michigan. They beat Michigan. Michigan. The, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, that's Which, right. So yeah, I mean that was that was incredible. Like I was like, yeah. wow. Uh, who'd have, who'd have thought? Um, but that that um, that game was a lot closer than it should have been. They were they were killing them, and then yeah. they came back and it was like. You know, apparently it was just, but yeah, no, they had a great season. Um, and, uh, the players deserve this, all the credit, man, for that. So, uh, um, yeah. I really like the kid. I really like the quarterback, Max Duggar. Max, yeah, he's a, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's he like a, have really a good career. Kid. Yeah. I'm hoping so. I'm hoping that, I'm hoping that he's, he gets the clean bill of health, you know, cause he had those health issues, which, yeah, you know, which made for a great story in college, but you know, I don't hope that doesn't like set back his professional career. Yeah. Yeah. So you never yeah. know. Oh, good but, stuff. But yeah, for sure. Um, so I um, I see that you're not smoking tonight because I, I I understand that you're at home. But yeah. uh um, but as the uh tradition continues here, uh I always let my guests select my cigar for me. So I have a couple choices for you. Thought we kick things off here. Um all right, let's see what you got. So I've got um I've got a four kicks mule kick 2022. Oh, very nice. I uh, have the 10th anniversary of surrogates. Oh, all right. Very so, nice. Mr. Dan Welsh and Pete Dan Johnson. Welsh, yeah. yep. And uh, a J train from our friends at protocol cigars. All right. Shop exclusive action. Uh, and then a couple, uh, a classic, of course, uh, the Oliva V double Robusto. Been Very really nice. digging, digging on these. And then uh, the number seven cigar of the year for me last year, which was the Dunbar tobacco and trust sober Mesa. Brulee blue. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I'm going to do, let's do the shop exclusive just because I'm high on the shop exclusives. I, I, I like it when shops really? get in there. Yeah. Okay. It's a great thing having the, uh, the private labels that are out there. Those are all fantastic. I had the Oliva advent calendar that was given to me. Uh, so yeah, I absolutely know what you're talking about there. Love what Dan and, and Pete do at surrogates. Um, that sober mesa brulee, um, I you know I smoked that on Thanksgiving a couple of years ago. I think when it first came out, and because uh, deep frying the turkey, and just spent my time outside there just by myself smoking that cigar while the sun was going down and the turkey was cooking, and uh, uh, just an amazing, amazing cigar and a great experience. So those are all very, very good cigars right there. So I am I do like the uh, I always try to find the uh, the private labels when I go into uh, cigar stores and, and try them out. Yeah, that was uh, an interesting uh, pick. Um, I mean, just your comment around it. Not that, not that this. I mean, I have the cigar. I, I smoke. I've had them before. They're fantastic. Wouldn't have given it to you as a choice if I didn't like it. But um, <laughs> I just, I, I was really, um, I was that. Sorry, the comment kind of threw me here. I'm, I'm finding trouble finding words here. Uh, that you that that, that you because I feel like shop exclusives like are great for the shop and, and people get excited about them or the people get excited about who like that brand. But I've yeah. never heard anyone talk with admiration about shop exclusive as a general entity. Like, Oh, I think that's really a cool thing. Um, yeah. That's, that's really interesting. Have you always been like that? Or are you just, is it, is it because it's, I mean, it supports obviously our members as, of, of the PCA or. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I mean, it's one of those things to where after talking with, you know, probably, you know, more than five, 600 retail owners now at this point, 
uh, over the five years of being here. Um, it's one of those things consistently that is a great way that continues to draw customers back to them, a great way for customer loyalty, making money, things like that. But when you get to know a lot of these guys, I mean, a lot of them are like, you know, the kings of the cigar nerds. They got into the industry because they love it so much. And so they have a chance to work with manufacturers. And it's really interesting. To, I mean, it's a, it's a great way in a lot of ways to get to know the owners and their palates and what they like. And then my appreciation grew even more as I kind of would visit some of the shops where they're kind of doing their own, especially along 7th Avenue down there in Ybor City. Some great stores down there that roll the cigars and you get to try them out and oh yeah, really get some uh, some really interesting nuances with the cigars they roll. So I just, I just like that experience. I obviously, you know, love every single one of the brands that you brought up and and uh, smoke them consistently. I mean, and uh, on a continuous basis, but, you know, with shop exclusives, that's something that sometimes isn't very easy to come by. So um, I do like, um, like the local cigar town here, which is the closest one to my house. Um, you know, Hassan, I talked to him quite a bit and we'll try his uh, on the regular. I know you travel, you travel quite a bit, obviously, but you also do a lot there at home base and everything as well. Um, and, and you have a family too and everything like that. So um, I, I swear I'm not trying to get you in trouble with this question, Scott, but like how often do you find yourself going into a, a, a cigar shop just for you? Just for me. Um, well, I mean, that's kind of the good part about it being the job is that I get to do kind of what I love in that regard. Right. And so, um, so this, it actually just happened last a uh, week. Um, so a week ago, Friday, um, really long story short, we had to go to the post office to get my kids' passports renewed because we're you know, going to be taking them on um, vacation a little bit later on in this year. And on the way back, my, my wife had left her credit card, so I had to go by and pick it up. And so it's on the way back, Cigar Town and this new lounge that they opened up um, out in, in Franklin Farm and here by me. So I stopped off to say hi and I ended up, you know, buying, I think, five or six cigars and going in the lounge and sitting around and talking to to a bunch of people there. And, and I just I really, really enjoy that. I get to talk to folks why they like smoking cigars, talking about the industry. And so happens that on Wednesday we had our reception to welcome the 118th Congress. And a few of the guys that were there at the shop, I invited and they, they drove into D.C. And, and came to the event. Um, so it was actually really cool. One of the guys starting his own cigar company um, had, a, had a great blend. And so he, he came by and a couple other guys came by, too, one of whom works at Cigar Town part time. So um, I, I do. We get to visit shops all the time. And, you know, obviously it's the PCA and the member relations component. But I just, I just like going in cigar shops. I like seeing the humidors. I like seeing how they're curated. I like talking to the owners and seeing kind of, you know, what they like to smoke and, and generally getting a few cigars and trying out what they have. And if they've got shop exclusives, I'd like to take at least one of those with me too. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I just, um, I, I guess that would be a really fantastic, but you could always just mix business with pleasure. I didn't even <laughs> think about that when I was answering the question. It, yeah. it just like, cause I just know that there's, um, there's, I mean, there's, there's so much fun in this, but it's also incredibly hard work what you do. Hmm. Cause I, again, I said all the time, they're like, with like my friends outside the industry and they, they know my schedule. Now they know every July I go out to the PCA and the trade show and everything. And they're like, Oh yeah, I bet it's just so much fun. I'm like, you know, I'm like, it is absolutely, but damn, it's fucking exhausting. <laughs> it's, it's just so it's, it's it, like, we go out there to work. I mean, yeah, we have a great yeah. time. We we mix it up with great people, and that's that's why we do it. But yeah, I mean, it's just it's just yeah, you know, great great example of that in uh, 2021. We're the first show back at the Venetian, right? 
Mm -hmm. and uh, we're still short staffed. And then, you know, Lisa Cox, who runs all of our events and trade shows, was out on maternity leave. Right, right. She, and so, she, she has, so she has was, the audacity to have a baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, so I, I was like the second night or the, it was five, it might have been uh, Sunday or Monday night. And granted, I get there on Tuesday and I'm there all the way through Wednesday. So I'm there for eight days. And I walked over, I got a pizza and I was walking back to my room through the floor and I saw Casey Johnson, Dan Walsh and a few others that saw that and they were just like, Smart man. Brilliant. I wish I was doing the same because they were all headed out to go to their dinners. I'm like, I can't. I need to go because I got to be up tomorrow morning at six o'clock to go do other things and run meetings and everything else and stuff, too. So I was like, yeah, that's it. I'm going out. I'm going to go sit in my room, eat pizza and pass out like an old man. I remember I remember you telling me that story. And I mean, it's I mean, God, I was going to say it has to. It I mean, it has to wear you out everything. But it seemed like, you know, as exhausting as 21 was. It was it it felt like a a big win, like we talked about last year and everything. But this year we could I mean, we're going to talk more about it, too. But um, and maybe it was just one of those things where it was just like all, you know, like a duck. Right. You know, like calm on the top and like pedal like hell underneath. But but you see you seem you seemed a little bit more relaxed. And and I don't want to say like relaxed in the sense of like you weren't doing anything. You certainly were working your tail off. But you you seemed more at ease, more at peace than that, obviously, than that frantic you know, version of what, you know, yeah. Of yeah, 21. No. Yeah. I mean, is this that year was, that's no a hundred percent. Um, yeah. I mean, having Lisa back obviously was a big deal in that regard, but there were so many other things that there were so many unknowns in 21 that it was just, you know, diving into it and you couldn't sit still other than to go sleep at 22. Um, you know, we've been back, we had been able to get ahead of quite a few things. And so a lot of stuff was kind of, um, kind of back to sort of the normal, way of things working. And so um, it was a little bit easier to kind of deal with things as they kind of came up. I mean, there's, you know, no, nothing's ever hundred percent smooth, uh, but 22, I was able to kind of be out more and kind of do what I need to do. Um, visiting, doing other things too. So it was all, I got a lot more cigars and I got to smoke a lot more cigars in, in uh, the last trade show than I did in 2021. That's for sure. I saw you smoking more. I will say that. So yeah. I, and here we are already jumping into tonight's major point. I am remiss. So let me go ahead and talk about tonight's major point always being brought to you by the people. Yes. Cigar people, the people who know everything about a lifetime of service protocol cigars is more than just pool parties and good times. Well, maybe it is, but behind the, behind the fun and behind the good times is a motivation for service, a motivation for giving back from the uh, original protocol blue to the latest release in the lawman series, Phoebe cousins protocol has always been about honor, passion, and yes, the people it's what their life's work has been and always will be about power of the P protocol cigars. So, yeah, I mean, the, I, I did see more smoke more this, uh, this past trade show than I think, uh, than the definitely the year prior, but, uh, um, it was really great. You you made an appearance at uh, at uh, the event for celebrating Christian Iroa's fiftieth birthday and uh, and then the tenth anniversary of Asylum, which was really cool for Tom. Yeah. Uh, so that and that was a great event. Uh, that was, that yeah. was, it was fantastic, and it was great to see you come by and everything. And like I said, you just seemed more um, just more at peace about everything. It just seemed it just seemed like a a really. I mean, let's just not bury the lead here. This the trade show went incredibly well in my opinion and and Thank and you. i think i think everyone kind of walked away with that i mean there were there are topics of of discussion that you know neither here nor that for the sake of this conversation at this moment but i think um i mean you guys had to feel good i mean from 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 the staff to the board i mean what was the overall consensus um 
in comparison to years past. Let's just put it in that context. Yeah. Uh, so as, as kind of just as you look at it, in my own personal perspective, I think which is kind of shared by the majority is that we felt like it, we were finally back to the way it was before the pandemic. That's why I think that it felt so good to kind of be there is because it's like, okay, this feels like our trade show. 21 obviously was condensed, redacted, a little bit smaller. Um, but with with last year, I think for the most part, you know, with things like the lounge, the way the exclusives went, some of the other activities that were going on, obviously there were things that, you know, we took note of that we want to fix for, for next year. Um, but we felt like overall that it was a step in the right direction um, that, again, coming out of the trade show being canceled and having to kind of deal with, you know, $2.2 million loss and trying to make sure that we get, you know, sound footing and everything, we felt like now now the crises are over. Now we don't have to always be reacting in a panic. Now let's make some deliberate steps to start changing some things to make the event better for, for attendees and for manufacturers. And so there were a couple of steps that we did last year um, that, that I think went well, and we're going to kind of repeat and, and do some other things and, and kind of increase it a little bit more this year uh, to make sure that this event is better than it was last year. What was, what were some of the things that the initiatives that you saw, Went in, that went into place. We're going to get to this year's trade show in a few minutes, but last year, what were some of the initiatives that you saw that put into place that um, came to fruition, you know, either beyond what expectations or met your expectations of what you wanted it to, to deliver it? Yeah. So I think that one of the things that we've always wanted to do is to create more opportunity for more networking. Um, you know, everyone gathers at that tiny little bar Luca and it becomes kind of a, a crazy mess. And so that's why we decided to do the PC happy hour. Um, so some, you know, some free drinks and snacks and things like that, but then sponsors stepped up, you know, and T Toscano and, you know, Guy Fieri and, and the knuckle sandwich and Bovoda, they stepped up and sponsored them. So we got to do different events each single day. And so, um, you know, that helped, you know, keep people there. We moved the show floor hours a little bit later, people could sleep in and, and come in a little bit later. So that was also helpful. Um, and then what we decided to do, we took a look, and said, look, you know, education is an important component of what we do, but taking an hour out of the day oftentimes I think is a little bit counterproductive. So we moved it to breakfast education sessions before the show opens. So mm -hmm. once the show floor is on, then it's just fully concentrated on keeping you at the show floor, engaged with the manufacturers and the retailers and providing more opportunities for that. And so we had really, really positive feedback from the happy hours. Um, a couple negative about some people thinking it drove away from the booth, but we said, look, the, the thought process really is to keep, you know, retailers there, um, get a few drinks in them. They feel better. And then they're hopefully going to come and spend some more money with you and, and, uh, at your booth. Right. And so, um, so we're going to kind of do a little bit more of those activations this year. Um, and we have some other kind of exciting things that we're going to be doing again, bringing back a keynote speaker and entertainment, um, doing more blending seminars with the manufacturers for education and some other things too. And um, so we got some really good things in the works that will be announced here within the next few weeks when mm -hmm. registration and everything else gets opened up. Well, listen, if any of those manufacturers have uh, any complaints about the happy hour, you just send them over to me because I spent some time in my day job at a conference this past fall where I literally told a couple of people who were thinking about buying. I said, why don't you go get yourself a drink at the bar and then come back and see me? And sure enough, they came back and bought from me. So, yeah, <laughs> less lesson learned um, so right. for them. Yeah. But um, I, I digress here, though. But the uh, uh, as far as the. Uh, 
Well, I mean, and, and respectfully, Scott, I don't want to give you credit for this because this the credit belongs to Espinoza for putting the project together and 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 having it come to fruition and everything. But how how big of an impact was it like having someone of the stature of Guy Fieri at our trade show from like I mean, if you can put it into words and put it into perspective for for I mean, most of my audience is obviously in in the industry or knows you know, is yeah. love cigars and stuff like that. But for anyone who may not even understand that the industry itself, like how big was that for this trade show? So it was, it, it's awesome. And it was really interesting because he pulled me aside and talking for about 10 minutes and he loves the industry. He legit loves the industry. He loves cigars. I, I actually enjoy the cigar. And I say that because I think we've all smoked celebrity cigars to where it might be a passion project where it's not really something that, that goes mainstream all that much. Um, a lot of celebrity cigars really don't populate the shelves around the country. This one, I think, you know, top 25 this year in, you know, Cigar Aficionado. Most people that are smoking it or enjoying it to, to a level are like, yes, that's something I would go and buy again, at least. Mm-hmm. So I went to one retail shop, Route 7 Cigars out in uh, Leesburg, um, Alec Rubier's shop, and they were sold out of the knuckle sandwich. So oh, um, so the thing with him is I've talked to him. I, I went down and met with Eric um, at his office uh, uh, in December, and, um, and the guy said the same thing to me at the trade show. He wants the cigar industry to go mainstream. And you're starting to see little instances of that, whether it's kind of these, you know, uh, famous podcasters like AJ Hawk is smoking on the podcast with Pat McAfee, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, you know, Joe Rogan obviously is doing it, but and because of that, you see a lot of these other sort of up and coming comics who have their own podcast shows that they're doing, and and they're smoking cigars now. You see Bill Burr smoking a cigar while he's hanging out talking with other people. So Guy Fieri kind of doing that. I think that that there's a way for him with his superstardom that he has to really help that. And so he's talked a little bit about that. I know that he and and Espinosa have some things that are in the works that obviously I'm not going to talk about, but um, that could actually really, really be a game changer for the industry in terms of that. Um, So it's, it's big, but then on the flip side of it, then you also had the Fuente and Padron announcement. We're going right off of that where, you know, segue Steeler Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Blowing (laughs) up. And so the same day, I mean, the, it was, it was electric on the show floor. You know, you had even people that have been in industry for a long time and very successful were, you were fanboying out about Carlito and, and George coming out with these cigars. And, and uh, so it was, it was really a lot of fun to see from my perspective, to see people uh, that engaged with kind of what's going on and excited. Um, and so it's important for the industry. Um, I can't, I can't overstate how important it is for somebody like Guy Fieri to be able to put a face to the industry, to the outside world to help because that helps not just within the growth of the industry, but it really, really helps as we start kind of the storytelling component with people on Capitol Hill. Uh, then that's a, that's a really, really big deal. I, it, it was, it's funny. You talked about those two events happening in the same day and it was funny talking to people on the other side of the trade show, how their day three like blew up and they said it was so weird. I was like, well, yeah, because everyone was over there on day two. And yeah. so they were all wanted to be around that. Yeah. And so they were probably spending time on those booths and everything. And and then, of course, you know, the, the, the day three had this really nice influx for the other half of the trade show, which was which was interesting. Because day three is usually when we've we've kind of see that that tapering off of 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 attend of attendance and stuff like that. And um I, I thought um I thought the vibe of 
the last two years, uh, Scott has just been so positive. Um, my last show, you know, obviously before COVID, uh, in 19 and everything, I mean, I was, that was still, that was still my second show. So I'm still enjoying the hell out of it. Um, and, but I mean, the, the vibe is just different, you know, I, I and I don't want to say negative, it, it, but it was just, it, by comparison, it was right compared to the yeah. last two years. Yeah. There's definitely some negativity that was there. I think a lot of it was uncertainty and, and what's going on. And there were, you know, fissures that were starting to generate at that show within the industry that ended mm-hmm. up, you know, kind of coming to fruition and being realized in different ways. Um, you know, court cases, FDA, all of that, everything yeah. was, was really just sort of a big unknown. And uh, when you run a business and when you spend, you know, your life building a business and that's facing you, mm-hmm. that's going to come out in, in multiple, in many different ways. Um, the cigar con, not trying to pour lemon in the wind, I promise. But like, you know, <laughs> like you said, it just, there was just a lot, there was a lot yeah. going on. Yeah. And yeah. And yeah. And yeah. So, so, I mean, so all of that, you know, and, and, and kind of being there and then, um, and then obviously the pandemic. And I think that when that happened and the court cases coming to, you know, we are, we're three and oh now against the FDA. So obviously good things have happened there. And then the boom, you know, people smoking more cigars, more people, you know, coming to, to find this, this, uh, great hobby that we all enjoy. Um, I think really kind of had a sense in 21 people being able to come together again and, and it's kind of like, you know, that, uh, that, what is that, that old Cinderella song, you don't know what you got until it's gone. Right. So I think a lot of people were like, well, shit, you know, we really did miss this. And, you know, 21 came back. A lot of people were really happy. Um, you know, manufacturers had, you know, record years uh, and then came back in 22. Uh, people were still buying cigars. People were still smoking a lot more cigars. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot more people came back and were realizing, yeah, this is, this is really good for the industry and for us as well. And I think that was a feel of 22. And then we obviously right before we won the big case, which is, you know, against the deeming rule. And, and I think a lot of people for the first time in probably what, 12 years, there was a sense of optimism that no, we won't be beaten by, you know, the heavy hand of the government or the antis. We actually have a path forward now. And I think that that was really evident on the show floor last year. I want to get to that, that, and how it affected uh, things as well too. But just to, to, to go back to a couple of things like we were talking about with like Guy Fieri um, specifically and just what he's done about bringing that, like you said, it'd be making it mainstream. And you brought up these comments we haven't even talked about, and we've mentioned this before. Uh, uh, we mentioned this before with your colleagues, uh, Josh and Glenn on Tuesday at Scar Coop Primetime Special Edition was the, the, the presence of cigars at, at sporting celebrations. Now, Joe yeah. Burrow made it famous, you know, made it yeah. famous, but dude, now you're seeing it in college championships. It was always a thing at the, uh, the Alabama at, Tennessee at the game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but, but it's gotten publicity though. Now, um, in Look, a very, in love- overall, a pos- in an overall positive, positive. Thing, which is yes. just, just, it's just insane. Yeah, it's becoming synonymous that you're celebrating a championship with cigars. Look, the Canadian women's ice hockey team from eight years ago were smoking cigars on the ice, right? And people were up in arms because oh, yeah, they got so much shit. women yeah. that were drinking beer and smoking cigars. I was like, it's legal in Canada. Shut the hell up, right? But uh, but then going on from there, I mean, you have um, uh, um, Bedard, who you know won the Stanley Cup. Um, I 
forgot her name, but the MVP of the WNBA finals out there smoking a cigar on stage. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's all starting. And, you know, I, the, obviously the Genesis goes back to Michael Jordan, right? Cam Newton, he started smoking cigars because of Michael Jordan and it denoted success and something that, you know, you were accomplishing and that's how he wanted it. That's why he wanted to start smoking cigars in the first place. And so, you're, you're you're exactly right. It is starting to be seen and really kind of funny on a personal level. Um, and, and it's kind of even funny in this regard. So my nephew, um, he kind of has his his own company that uh, he has done with sneakers and some other stuff that he does. And a friend of his painted him and painted him like as a, you know, this is your sort of success vision of success or whatever. And he's sitting on this throne with his like custom design, you know, uh, sneakers on, but he's smoking a cigar. My sister sent me a picture and she was like, here's Casey. he's of age. Um, you know, he just turned 22. She's like, Hey, here's Casey's vision of success that when he finally makes it for his first million, this is, you know, him smoking his cigar. So even younger generations, you know, my son, he's going to be 22 here in a few weeks, same type of thing. He's enjoying cigars in the same type of fashion. They're seeing it as a way to enjoy something that's, that's fun. It's celebratory, but also has that connection with, with stature and success. Mm -hmm. Uh, This isn't something that, you know, you're just doing for a buzz. This is something that you're doing because this is, it's a, it's a, it's a stature thing. It's a, it's a social thing and it's, it's a connotation of success. You know, I've brought this story up among a lot of times because people have always asked me, like, when when did you want to, like, when did you start wanting to smoke a cigar? And I, I tell people all the time, I can't tell you the age of sometime between the age of 10 and 12. Modest students started seeing it, like, between TV or movies or something about it. Like, I had a, you know, I, like, you, Scott, I had a, you, you know, my parents were pretty conservative and I lived a conservative, you know, I was a pretty straight edge kid growing up i didn't drink underage i didn't i had no desire to smoke cigarettes my dad smoked cigarettes had no desire to do anything like drugs or anything like that and just never did rebel that way but there's something about like on my 18th birthday i had a cigar and that's what i wanted is i wanted mm-hmm. to smoke a cigar and and i did and it was it was fantastic just recently in the last the last few weeks i've i've gone back to watching some reruns of jag i don't know if you remember the tv show oh yeah um, David James Elliott, the main character, plays a character named Harmon Rev, and he smokes cigars. And I remember watching that show with my parents, and I'm like, "Ah, that was probably one of the one of the things that that kind of got me, you know, excited about it." Which is funny to talk about now, it, but it was it was kind of one of those aha moments just a few weeks ago, thinking about it. But to yeah. I know, I know you don't spend as much time, but you were. I know you just did something with a, bi- a bipartisan gathering uh, earlier this week, which was really cool to hear about on Tuesday with uh, with uh, Josh and Glenn. And I know they spend more time on the Hill and with politicians, but I know you do your fair share as well. Has has the has the Guy Fieri thing come up? And I, I keep going back to the Guy Fieri thing because again, it is a phenomenon in the sense of making it mainstream. Is it? But has it come up with? with uh in politics has it come up with these politicians that we're talking about uh some when we have the the conversations um you know if, if we're able to coordinate and guys willing to um and it somehow works with his schedule um we would love to put on an event um because that that puts us in a completely different stratosphere right it it gets us to sit down with the schumers and the hakeem jeffries and, and those those types of folks to truly start making a difference um and those are the politicians that are really kind of um tied at the hip with the antis um and so you 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 tend to take a look at that and that's the kind of stuff that can move the narrative and that's why this is such an interesting 
um, proposition for us. So we are mm -hmm. very much looking at a strategizing, but again, going to be according to what he uh, is able and comfortable uh, with. Sure, so sure. It, it absolutely is is something that would be beneficial. Even if it's indirect, it's going to be beneficial. There's no question. Well, here's and I was remiss in not mentioning this to Josh on Tuesday, but I, you know, he's he's the lobbyist. So I'll leave it up to the professionals. But like, but I mean, make no mistake, the the what he's done with just one of his many ventures in diners, drive-ins, and dives, where he's brought attention to local communities. These are constituencies of the uh -huh. politicians that we have to do business with, and uh -huh. they he's brought an influx of economic impact into some specifically some of these very smaller uh yeah. communities and yeah. um and that's been obviously a huge positive for it like i mean uh, not to make him political because i don't think he is but like that's but that that makes an impact that makes a huge impact well and that's really we again talked very briefly about this but if you think about who he's out there bringing publicity to it it's very much just like our retail members. 83% mm -hmm. of our retail members are single store owners, right? right? He's out there going to the mom and pop diners, drive-ins and dives. So it's very, very much a parallel and related to exactly what we are and who we represent. Right. And so I think in that regard, he does, I mean, that's what he's all about. And, and, you know, it showed when the pandemic came in, he raised well, however many 20 some odd million dollars um, to be able to help restaurants that had to close. Um, and that's just who he is and that's what he's all about. And that's why I think that he's, he's dead serious. I mean, he sat right there and like death stare through me and is like, you know, we're going to do whatever we can to make this thing go mainstream. And he was like, look, you got the, the summer league over there. Every single one of those guys ought to be here smoking. And I said, as long as they're over 21, yes, I agree with you. <laughs> you know? And, uh, he kind of laughed, you know? And so, yeah, I, it's, it's, um, it is a big deal. And I think that we're going to get more and more of that. You know, I think that there are some, I mean, look, you know, Ed Reed was there as well. I got a great mm -hmm. picture of the two of them hugging and talking. Some of those guys like to be a little bit more low key with kind of what they, what they do and, and others, you know, like, like guy with the personality or, or, are all in kind of on making it as public as, as and big as possible. Not that Ed's not, I've never had a conversation with him about that, but Ed's a lot more low key when he's at the, the show. Yeah. It's a, uh, he was even more under the radar this year than he normally is. And that's saying something, because like you said, he's, he is considerably low key. Uh, you know, even Ken Hamlin, who we're going to have on the show later this, uh, uh, later this quarter, um, you know, he, um, you know, he, he certainly didn't have the hall of fame career that Ed Reed had, but I mean, he, he I still love the approach that he's taking with the arrival and everything. And, but he still mm -hmm. was very much a low key um, kind of component as well. But I think that's in a way that's, kind of that's a different approach than some of these again celebrity cigars it doesn't matter what guy does because i mean he could walk into any room and you know twenty thousand people are going to be drawn to it and do any it doesn't matter what it is cigars or yeah. you know whatever yeah, yeah. so i mean his, his star power is huge it's yeah it, it's great so i mean like um and then but to, to take again not not to take anything away from probably the second biggest story at the trade show which was the fuente padron collaboration everything what what did what what did that event have what did that event bring to the pca that we hadn't seen in years before at least from my perspective um you know 2018 was my first show and um 
while there was excitement on the show floor, and I've got to understand that there's some sort of bias for me because when you walk on the show floor for your first time, it's overwhelming. And so you're, you know, it's, it's, oh my God. And you kind of remember it and everything. And so, but just thinking about it from that perspective, objectively and everything else, right. Um, other than obviously the fire that happened in 2018 <laughs> um, and, and, you know, you know, 18, there was the fire and the flood and everything else that happened because of that. And the norovirus beforehand, where we had to move event space, everything else, 2019 was, you know, the rebrand and the cigar con and everything else that was going on. And then 2020 was canceled. So, uh, you know, I think that in, in the regard of the Fuente and Newman, um, it was really interesting. Christian said something to me. Um, uh, uh, God, I'm going to get his name wrong now. It, uh, Rick Ross, the rapper. Mm-hmm. So he came to the show floor in 2018. Mm-hmm. I confess, I really didn't know who he was. I just, I knew the name. Um, and, and then he came walking on, he had his little entourage and he was kind of, started walking through the show floor, but Christian Aurora actually brought this up. He's like, man, he goes, there was a buzz and an excitement on the show floor that I don't think we felt in, in, in some years now when he was on that show floor and he, he Christian called it, you know, the sex appeal of the show and everything else. I think that with the guy Fieri thing, but then also with the Fuente Newman, because people, this was kind of teased the Fuente Newman mm-hmm. and everything else. Padron. Padron Fuente, uh, Fuente, Fuente Padron. Sorry, okay. I'm just so used to saying Fuente Newman. Um, <laughs> the Fuente Padron was 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 teased. People knew it was coming, and then you know got on site and said, "Yeah, here it is." We and you know we knew because we gave them that that additional space that's that they shared there. Um, you know there was an excitement because again the cigar nerds of the cigar nerds. There's a lot of these people they were you know have known and, and looked up to these two families for so long and for what they have done for the industry um, and for just their names and what they produce um, that, that excitement and that buzz and electricity was, was definitely there for that. I mean, you just, it, it looked like the circle bar with the people crowded around trying to hear yeah. and, and everything. Right. And, and um, it, it just, there was something that was about that. I mean, Hell, you saw it at the beginning when Fuente did the seminar for us on opening day. Yeah, the, the line. line. I've got a video Sick. that went all the way down, and people were just clamoring to get in because they wanted that special cigar. And so, yeah, I think that there was that. That was the element that I think was different this year is that there were exciting things going on that people were looking forward to that wanted to be part of because I am a part of this industry, and it, there's some exciting things happening. And I think that that was probably the 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 elevation of the event last year um were those things so what's the lesson that we learned in that then so <laughs> the way i put it was this our head our, our board came in um october of 21 and it was like kind of a strategic um a sort of analysis and reset and i said you know for me for for years and especially coming from association management whenever i would do big annual conventions and things like this you know especially when i was coming from engineering and healthcare you're setting up 50, 70, 100 different concurrent educational sessions. And people go to those sessions and then they'll go visit the expo hall and then do a little bit of business. But they're there mainly for an education session and then they'll go do some business, right? And I was, and I said, you know, I've learned over the course here that we're not a business meeting that has some fun events. We are a fun event where people also do business. And that's what we're trying to, you know, inject a little bit more of that specific to cigars, right? Why are we in this industry? Well, because we love cigars and we love the tobacco. We love the growing seasons. We love the fields. We love the factories. We love how each year can produce and the terroir can produce something different within these blends. We love to know, you know, the process by which they're being blended and why and what flavors and notes that they're trying to to create for and the experience they're trying to create for, for those of us that are smoking these and being 
able to have access to that is is why you're excited about being in this industry. And so the more we can, you know, capitalize, you know, out of all of the cigar con, um, you know, mess and everything else, one of the things that was um, really interesting is I was talking to Art um, Kemper from Perdomo. And he said, you know, the biggest thing about the show is not the booths. It's the fact that everybody in the industry is here for this one event. You don't get that anywhere else. Mm-hmm. All of the principles, all of the names, all of the, you know, they're all here for this event. And being able to capitalize on that for the people that are in this industry, I think is still important. And, you know, people call them old friends or it feels like family because you've known them for 20 years. Nevertheless, coming back and seeing it, especially when, you know, they're doing something new or they're bringing something new. It's exciting, and it reminds you why you love the industry. We kind of glazed over it, but another thing that kind of preempted this this trade show this year, and I think teed uh, up the the positive vibe. But I think all these these so called fun events that we're talking about really almost overshadowed the incredible victory that our industry had weeks days before the no, opening it was, of the yeah, trade show. It was. It was Three days before the show, yeah. when the decision came down, yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess, I guess that had a lot to do with it—the fact that it happened just so recent that there just wasn't, there was time to react, time to celebrate, but there wasn't a time to, I guess, take advantage, like of it, so to speak. It just, it, it, yeah. felt, it didn't feel swept under the rug, Scott. I, I'm not trying to diss you here or anything like that. Like, I think it was, oh, no. I think it was part of the vibe overall. But it, it definitely felt like it was well, well down the ladder, uh, in in terms of like things things to be excited about. Was it was it because it just happened? I think it was that, but I also think that the other part of it was is that you know again we'd already won the two previous court cases. This knocked down the deeming rules being arbitrary and capricious, um, and they'd already set up Nasim to already start doing the study. And I think the other part of why it probably wasn't as big of a, you know, pop the champagne is because no remediation came through with the decision, right? That, that, that still hasn't happened. The judge is still, you know, Med is doing all the January 6th stuff, the judge. So mm-hmm. he still hasn't rendered what the remediation is going to be. So there is still a little bit of that lingering out there about, well, what is it exactly he's going to say? Um, now, granted, it's, it's a massive, massive relief and, and, you know, we're not facing anything like what we were facing, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it wasn't like the judge came down. It's been killed completely. The remediation is the FDA has to never touch premium cigars. I mean, it was, it wasn't exactly like that. So I think that for some folks, it was great. The deeming rule has been knocked. We kind of already had that a little bit. Um, so now it was, I, I think that probably that's more what it was is just because we won the fact that the, the judge did find it arbitrary and capricious. However, it was still, you got to go study this. You need to do X, Y, and Z, which is kind of what we've been going through initially anyway. Right. So I think that might've led to a little bit of that. Um, but to your point, you know, people were there, they felt good. I think a lot of times people don't necessarily want to go into all of those details either. They want to, mm-hmm. I'll give me the cliffs notes. Okay. This is good news. Awesome. I'm drinking and I'm smoking and I'm going to have a good time. And I think that's kind of what it came down to. But I think all of it really was was kind of the perfect recipe and timing for for the show to be what it was last year. I think I noticed it was you know, when I was talking earlier about the piece that you had and the 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 impression that I got from watching you and, and you know and Josh and, and and some of the other folks too. Just because again, I think that it just wasn't as stressful as the year prior. But there was all these positive things going on as well. 
I noticed it really with Rocky, who's already a gregarious character uh, to begin with. So he's always got this very positive mood about him, and he's very out there and outlandish and everything. And 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 that's part of that's part of his character. But even him, um, there's something different about my interview with him this year than than in and then my interactions with years prior. Um, was he just it, it? He looked literally like the weight of the world had been lifted off his shoulders. Like he, it, it was like he was almost floating. And for for a, like he didn't have anything to do with the guy Fieri thing that we were talking about. He didn't have anything to do with the Fuente Padron thing as we were talking about. But this was this was very much a, 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 a for a lot of people. He, he wasn't the only one, but he was one of the front liners, always on the front line fighting for this for the longest time. And, um, you know, he told a really, really just unbelievable uh, emotional story about when he, he found out a call that he got and he was, you know, he was, I think he was either on an airplane or getting off of an airplane or something. And he was like in tears, like he was just talking about it, just tears, but tears of joy. Like he just had the biggest smile. He said he had the biggest smile on his face, but he was bawling. And I mean, it just had to have been so, so relieving for someone who would put so much into it. You all have, we all have. And it's, it, it, it was such an incredible moment. Like you said, there's still work to be done and we're doing it. Um, but man, what a, what a moment for the industry. Yeah. I mean, you think about, you know, going all the way back to the nineties when he started out and think about how hard Rocky and his family have worked to get his company to where it's at. Um, and Rocky would have survived and thrived had this thing gone through. I mean, think about it. I mean, yeah. the deeming rule, he had a ton of stuff that he could have continued to do, but I just, you know, the industry matters that much to him. And so uh, Rocky is, is definitely one of those. I don't really know from my experience. Um, there aren't a whole lot that have put in as much. Um, certainly I don't know of any that have put in more than he has, as far as an individual for his, his time and everything else that he does. I mean, they did there's just very few of them that have, have done the amount of work that he has done. So I can only imagine uh, that sense of triumph and, and relief, especially because, I mean, look, yes, yes, absolutely for the industry, but I don't think anybody should begrudge anybody for fighting as hard as they did for, you know, their business, because this is what they have built and for everything they sacrificed in order to build that business. I mean, that to me, you know, I think that that was definitely a part of that as well. And that's, you know, look, one of the reasons why, you know, I and my team, we do what we do is because we know how much people put into building these businesses. And and that's why we're there out there doing what we do is to ensure that a stroke of a pen doesn't take away 30 years of everything you've sacrificed for. So, I, you know, I can I can definitely understand why he would his reaction would have been that. And I think that's what was very telling about this battle that we were in, because the people leading the charge. You know, Rocky, Alan Rubin, Pete Johnson, Carlito Fuente. These are all four well-established members of this industry that, like you said, would have survived and would have thrived had the demon rules been shut down. That they could have they could have relied upon a lot of stuff, but it it didn't matter. It didn't matter, and that was the thing that was just impressive about their passion and fortitude as they fought yep. alongside you guys. Like that's that, that was what was really telling to me about how this industry just is. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause they could have well, easily I, rested on their laurels. 
They, absolutely. Absolutely. But I mean, that's also why there's such a great relationship between and amongst them and amongst the retailers as well. Um, you know, that I, you know, I'm not saying this selfishly or anything, but the, the, a lot of the retailers that, that come to the show, a lot of the retailers that have spent time in volunteer positions at the PCA and others, they take note of the manufacturers that, that go all in with the PCA, not for the PCA sake, but because for the industry's sake. Um, and it's important to them. And, you know, even, even going to the barn smoker last year and, you know, Jonathan drew talking about launching at RTDA and how special it was. And, you know, him talking to me about RTD helping build his brand and everything else. Most people say that, right. Um, so there still is something to be said about, about all of that. And, and every single one of those names you've mentioned have always talked about how important the industry is as a whole. They want to leave it better than when they first came into it. Um, you know, they, whether it's, you know, their sons wanting to come and take it over, whether it's family business and legacy that they want to take over, whether it's just, they want to see the cigar industry be better in the next 20 years than the last 20 years that they've been able to be a part of it. They're all in on that. And I think that's why so many retailers and why a, they, they've had success, but B why so many retailers have, have been such strong supporters of theirs too. Absolutely. Well, Scott, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, this year's com- upcoming trade show, as well as some other things that have been going on uh, at the PCA here recently, which is uh, there's some really good other additional positives. Um, um, so we'll get to that after we break it up with a little bit of fun of our own, a little fun segment. So this is our United Cigar Presidential Trivia segment. So always brought to you by United Cigars featuring La Giana Havana, distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabay, Byron, and now Alfonso lines from Selected Tobacco. Smoke one today and start living United. Uh, now on Cigar Coop Primetime Special Edition, uh, Scott, uh, Coop's goal is to always stump me on this. Uh, don't worry. We don't do that here. Uh, your, your question is multiple choice and it's for fun. Okay. So, All right. so I, I know your, uh, your, your lovely wife is, is very much into, uh, into baking and cooking and that's her world, uh, which is really cool. So I thought we would have fun with presidents and desserts. So, oh, okay. um, so fa- favor, uh, so the question is which of these is not the name of a president's favorite dessert. So um, there's some unusual names here. So this is not going to be a this is not going to be a uh, a throwaway. So here are your choices. All right. So which of these is not the name of a U.S. president's favorite dessert? So we have a peppermint iceberg puff, B vinegar pie, C Monticello muffins, D burnt custard, or E chocolate nut drop cookies. So A, peppermint iceberg puff, B, vinegar pie, C, Monticello muffins, D, burnt custard, or E, chocolate nut drop cookies, which was not the name of one of the president's favorite desserts. You know, logic would say vinegar pie should be it because that just sounds horrible, but uh, it sounds so bad. I'm guessing it probably is something. The Monticello muffins and then the chocolate nut drop things sound good. So it's probably one of those two. Um, I'm going to go with the Monticello muffins. Believe it or not, that was Thomas Jefferson's favorite dessert, Monticello muffins. Uh, so I was see, and I was banking that you took something like Monticello and was like, I'm going to throw it in there because it sounds presidential. <laughs> yeah, I was like, man, I mean, 
how gregarious to name your favorite dessert after your house like it's i know i know i know i was i thought for sure i was like ah he's just throwing in monticello to make it sound good so all right you learn something new every day so i actually pulled up you mentioned vinegar pie uh i actually pulled out uh, a recipe of it i have it right here um it, it was actually james k polk's favorite dessert um, that sounds so, about right. So ate a few of those and hallucinated manifest yeah. destiny. That sounds about right. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of story to this. It's just it's just crazy. Given the history about vinegar pie and everything, I'm trying to get to the ingredients here. Uh, um, it just sounds awful, but uh, to me, but uh, from the from the uh, from the pictures, and I'll post them in the chat later, and then on the show notes as well. It actually doesn't look bad. It actually looks like regular pie, but. Uh, um the uh, uh any other guesses here so uh monticello muffins vinegar pie or so burnt custard chocolate nut burnt custard cookies. chocolate drop cookies or the peppermint puffs uh let's go with peppermint puffs that's correct the there peppermint iceberg puff was not a favorite so vinegar pie was james k polk um the uh monticello muffins was thomas jefferson burnt custard was andrew jackson mm. made by his wife rachel and chocolate nut drop cookies, which I just think is hilarious, uh, because of who it was. It was uh, LBJ. <laughs> it's his favorite uh, dessert. Considering Sound, that sounds like a Texan's favorite dessert. Well, well, it's also because <laughs> to me it's very funny to because I think about it and uh, um, because he, this was a president who was who made famous for the fact that. Uh, he, he exposed used, himself. He ex- yeah. used to love exposing himself, which for whatever reason uh, was, yeah. I don't know how this, I mean, he was president 50 years ago, Scott. And I know that seems like that definitely was a lifetime for some people, but like there was a TV in almost every living room at that point. Like, how did this not be a national scandal? Like, I don't understand <laughs> today. Like that would just be ridiculous, but here are the, here are the ingredients for vinegar pie. Uh, one nine-inch pie crust baked, uh, all-purpose flour, white sugar, water, egg yolks, salt, unsalted butter. So so far, everything sounds normal. Yeah. Teaspoon of lemon extract. Okay. But three tablespoons of distilled white vinegar, three egg whites. So you separate the egg and more sugar. And, I mean, it looks like pie. So I'm not sure... What it, I mean, I guess the the acidity just like really brings out the lemon. Maybe it's just very tart. That would have. I mean, it, it has to be. Sounds like it. I mean, that's I, a, quite a bit of sugar too. And I guess the steps would that vinegar hitting those those egg whites wouldn't be very good either. So that yeah. sounds really interesting. The only thing I was coming up with when you said it was like a balsamic vinegar reduction, which I mean isn't technically even really vinegar in that sense, but it gets yeah. very sweet. And like with yes. strawberries, I can understand something like that, but. Yeah, yeah, I think I I was I saw that and I was just like, oh gosh, I have to look this up and I have to talk about vinegar pie because it just sounds sounds disgusting. Um I follow this guy, I can't remember his name. I, it's just one of these guys who makes, you know, reels on Instagram and stuff like that, but he takes recipes, like old school recipes and he makes them and it's just some of the most entertaining stuff I've ever seen. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh like like um Stuff I just want to like, point out, look at Jay Davis in the chat trying to like, you know, distance himself from the cigar con because he wasn't on the board at that point. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, I saw that. He's like, that was pre Davis. Don't I think like, I'm not going to call you out, Jay. I actually have a microphone right now. <laughs> uh, 
Sorry, uh, I just saw that pop up. I was like, I'm not letting him get away with that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I saw I saw that comment earlier. I was like, oh, nice one, Jay. Good call. Um, <laughs> pre pre Davis. <laughs> um, That's funny. We're we're gonna talk about uh, his time on the board as well. As some of the other newcomers here in just a few minutes too. But um, what? Uh, so I, 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 there has to be. I, and I don't want to get you in trouble at home either, but there has to be a favorite desserts that you, that your wife makes for you. I mean, what, what is it? You know, what's funny is she, I'm the taste tester. And so it's, it's all cakes, cupcakes and cookies. But when she's coming up with new cupcake flavors, she brings them home to me because she cannot eat frosting. She doesn't like the consistency. So it's always, <laughs> she's always got to, you know, bring them to me. So I've got to get out the fork. And so she um, was doing a, uh, for Valentine's Day, she had like this champagne, strawberry champagne. Um, and so she had to have me sample a couple of them um, and, and to try to figure it out. Then there was, um, I can't forget, the other one was a, a salted caramel chocolate fudge with uh, um, uh, pretzels on top. Um, <laughs> so I was okay. having to eat all so it. So um, it, her, to be honest with you, her sugar cookies are the best i've ever had i mean they're just they're that good it's the simple things man it's the simple they're, things yeah even plain and just like dipping them in coffee is unbelievable especially with a cigar quite frankly that's actually one of the best cigar combos ever um <laughs> but then you know the icing and everything else makes it really good too um because they're they're not they're not hard crisp cookies they're more like cake and so they're firm on the outside but then they're nice and chewy um mm. like a so snickerdoodle yeah, a lot like that. A little bit firmer on the outside. Um, but then a non-dessert, one of the things is uh, she does homemade biscuits, and her homemade biscuits are, are awesome. My kids are always asking her to make those for breakfast. So, Oh, nice. Those are really good, too. But, yeah, the sugar cookies for me are, are really where it's at. I uh, Snickerdoodles are my favorite cookie. I'm allergic to chocolate. I think we've talked about this before. You may have yeah, yeah. But yep. um, uh, Snickerdoodles are my favorite. My wife makes the, this outstanding Snickerdoodle. It's Funny, funny, funny enough, as I was researching for this question, Grover Cleveland's favorite dessert was Snickerdoodles. A Snickerdoodle with a scoop of uh, French vanilla ice cream, man, you can't beat it. It's delicious. Yeah, that sounds sounds awesome right now. Uh, uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> but um, it was really funny going down the list as, as, as things started sounding less weird. You know, you have Hulk with vinegar pie and burnt custard for Jackson and Monticello muffins and and then it got into like chocolate chip cookies and, and things like that. And um, Ulysses says, Grant, Boston cream pie. That was the first normal one that I saw. Um, Abraham Lincoln liked lemon meringue pie, apparently. So that was pretty normal too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, but yeah, some of the, some of the choices were, were pretty odd, um, sounding. So I thought that were, it was a, this was a fun little exercise and everything. Pulp but, was an odd duck. So yeah, I think that makes sense. Crazy. Uh, so you jumped on right, right onto the Oliva V, huh? Yeah, yeah. I Nicely finished up done. the. Uh, I've been. Uh, I love. I love this cigar, and I go back to it. it's. It's one of these things where uh, I was smoking this earlier yesterday. Uh, Trip uh, Waldrop um, was in town, and and we got to spend some time together, and we were smoking some of these, and we were talking about how those. We love those cigars that they've been around forever that you can go back to, and it's the same. It's the same thing that you remember. Yeah, that's a mark of a truly great. Um, factory and company when he's exactly that because it's so hard 
to even just year in and year out, create a consistent blend that people are going to, you know, recognize and love because of all the changes that can happen with the, the tobacco. But one of the things I'd never really smoked a lot of the Siri O before, and they had one of those, I believe it was that Corona size or something like that in the uh-huh. advent calendar. And my God, did I fall in love with that cigar? That was delicious. I was sad when it, when it ended. I love it when I have a cigar like that, when I'm sad that it ended. And um, it was just very, very good. Did you ever have, excuse me as I cough, did you, did you ever smoke the original, did you ever have a, a gander at the original O's? It was this gorgeous, mm. ornate box, beautiful ribbon banding. I mean, it was a presentation of a mm. cigar. And it was much different. The blend was different. Everything about it was different. And I remember those, and they were fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Now, unfortunately, I first was introduced to Oliva. Um, so uh, it was a long time ago in my previous job, and there was a cigar town. still exists. It's in Reston Town Center. And I would go get lunch and I'd go hit Cigar Town and I'd get the, the special G because I could smoke that in 15 minutes and go back to work. There you and go. I'd, sit, I'd sit outside and smoke that, then head back to work. And so that was my first introduction to uh, to Oliva was with the Siri G. I love it. Special the, G, rather. The um, I, I think it's it, it, like we're talking about with the consistency and stuff. And I think that what's really great about this is like this is actually even the the Siri V post uh, it was pre Jay Cortez acquisition. Mm-hmm. And like that's again, it's something that hasn't changed, mm-hmm. which is really like you. Then when regimes change like that, like major changes like that, then that's when you know things change sometimes, you know. And and yep. they they really kept they really kept uh, kept it in its in its original greatness and stuff. And it's it's just a really good one to keep going back to. I really enjoy it. So it was really interesting because, but you know, um, my daughter was looking at the advent calendar tonight and she was like, you forgot to open number 16. And I was like, what? She's like, you skipped 16. And so she opened it and it was the cane triple a harrow. And I was like, oh, okay. I got, I'm going to have to prepare myself if I'm going to smoke that thing. <laughs> I don't know if you've had that or not, but yeah. I'm just wondering, is oh, it, yeah. is, is it a smack you in your mouth? Is it, as it says, I mean, triple a harrow, that thing's got to be super strong. It I mean, I've been smoking for a long time, so it's not as strong now. Um, it still is very strong. It's very, very Lajero, I'll just say. Um, I have to be in the mood for something like that. When it's, there's something that that polarizing, in a sense, like it, I compare it to they they're 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 nothing alike, but I compare it to like the Drew Estate KFC product, like <laughs> like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like I can't sit there and smoke a box of KFCs. Like I just can't. Right. Um, and I can't just pick one up willy nilly. Like that's just it. Just isn't like my normal back. But like when you crave that cigar, when you crave that fire cured tobacco, like it just it just hits the fucking spot. Like there's just nothing like it. And it's usually probably in the summer when you're barbecuing is like the perfect time to do it because it's just like the whole ambiance and everything. So it makes it sense. But yeah. So what's interesting about that is, so I went, um, Toscano invited me to this embassy event that they had at the Italian embassy a couple months ago. And so they had Toscano cigars and that olive oil. And they had this like just amazing uh, dinner that was prepared by an Italian chef. And it was all about Italian heritage culture. And then they had an outdoor patio set up for smoking Toscano cigars and they handed them out. So I went home. I, it, was, it went really late and my wife was with me. And so we ended up having to get back. 
but I hadn't had the chance to really sit down and smoke a Toscano cigar before. And so weeks passed and I found it in my humidor and I was like, God, I forgot about this. And so I lit it up and first time I'd ever had uh, a fire cured cigar like that. Cause I'd had the mm-hmm. KFCs, but I'd never smoked them before. I've always, mm-hmm. they've always just been sitting in my humidor because it's always one of those things where you got to be in the mood and more often than not, I'm going to go back to, you know, uh, what I call an older a reliable, but I smoke so many different things. Right. Mm-hmm. And smoking that fire cure, that Toscano, like it, it hit the spot. I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe I haven't had these before. Um, and Ryan who, who works for me, you know, he had a bunch of them. So he brought them in and, you know, you just clip them in the center. So they're great. Like, you know, 10, 15 yeah. minutes. Cigars. Um, we went through quite a bit. Uh, so yeah, we both really enjoy the, that flavor. It's so unique and interesting. Very much. So I, I, I do enjoy Toscano quite a bit. Um, the Antico uh, yes. line is that that hits for me. Like, yeah, I will, I will smoke those. Um, yeah. But I, I love the, the, even some of the, like their flavored stuff, like, cause it's very unique flavors that are not, you know, like they're not Tatiana flavored. Right. With all right, respect right. To, to Miami cigar company, but they're not the traditional flavor. They're not your chocolate, your vanillas, your straw. Like they're not, the things that we Americans would do is like normal, normal flavoring stuff. Like, I mean, like it, it's, you know, anise. Right. Is one of their flavor. And I fucking love that cigar. I dig it. I just, <laughs> yeah. I haven't had it, but uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's what you would expect Italians to do with it. Right. Right. Well, I mean, licorice, licorice flavored stuff, anise, you know, you know, star anise or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, fennel, Fennel, you know, yeah. that that kind of that kind of licorice flavor component is is very much an acquired taste and it's not for everybody so like the the fact that i enjoy it like i remember my general manager at the time at michael's uh, he he handed me one he's like i think you'll dig this and i looked i was like oh yeah i mean i like anise he's like yeah i hated it <laughs> and i was like he's like not the cigar's fine but it's the it's the just the, the flavor of it and i said okay yeah. cool and i lit up i was like man this is really good he's like i knew you'd like it <laughs> <laughs> but uh i know we got a little bit off the beaten path but that was of course our presidential united trivia segment sponsored by united cigars featuring lagian Havana, distributors of jose, jose dominguez bandolero Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabay, byron and now alfonso lines from selected tobacco smoke one today start living united so um scott we normally do a charity segment um or nonprofit segment here on ellis fumar takes as you're familiar with and the la- like the last time we're going to also feature the PCA uh this 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 uh this for this take as well it is a nonprofit and uh uh that uh that warrants our attention and everything so I thought we'd ask a couple of un- unique questions that maybe you've answered in the past but I certainly have never asked them of you and I thought it'd be interesting um you know what obviously you can donate through the website you can donate through mm-hmm. your membership dues obviously go to everything but if 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 someone doesn't I'm sure there's options to designate your donation to certain things. What are some examples if we wanted to, if so, if one wanted to donate to the PCA, to the general fund, but they wanted it to go to the specific things, what are some options that they could do and what would it go towards? So there's a, quite a few options. I mean, you could designate it if you wanted it to be something state specific, for example, if you wanted to say, I want to designate this for state advocacy for my state or pick a state, you know, um, especially if, if you're in a state that seems probably pretty well insulated from something, but you say, hey, look, I'm going to give 25 bucks because I want to help try to get this 
tax done in in New York, for example. Because if we can get that tax fixed in New York, my God, could that have a, a massive effect across the country? Or I want to donate because I want to help get this you know, cigar bar bill passed in Montana or a tax cap in Idaho taken care of. Um, you know, it could even be more local. You know, there was the Waco where, you know, cigar bar bill passed where mm-hmm. now you can have a cigar bar in Waco. Um, you know, we're trying to get that done in Louisville. If there's one city in this country that ought to have cigar bars, it's Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, shit. Uh, yeah. Amen. So, so, um, so that's kind of one of, one of those things that you can, you can donate towards, um, other aspects of it. Um, you, you could sign up and, and sign the form and, and donate to the pack. Um, you can't designate it. You just give it to the pack. And what that does is it allows us to be able to put money towards candidates that are going to support cigars and premium cigars, and premium cigar legislation. Um, other aspects, it could go uh, towards a number of different things, whether if you want to put it towards, you know, more publication, you can designate it for education, uh, you could designate it for um, uh, you know, fundraising, you know, we, we hold different types of fundraisers um, and, and other things there. Um, so that's really kind of, um, you can kind of designate it for anything that you want, but really ultimately the, the most important thing is really kind of the, the fight that we do in all of the States and other localities. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we have changed and, and, and it was a challenge I gave to our government affairs team, who's doing a very, very good job. And that's why we came up with vision 50, right? A decade of action, which is to be proactive in our legislation. So that's why you're seeing us do more and trying to get things like cigar, uh, uh, or uh, tax caps passed to where, we reduce it and cap it at 30 cents or 50 cents, for example, looking at ways in which we can help so that, you know, cigar bars can open up or reducing or, or other things where, where it comes to either reporting or any number of different things that kind of go on that help retailers uh, do business. So, um, so we've been a lot more proactive and that's, that's been beneficial. You know, we haven't had any tax increases the last couple of years. We've killed it at every level, federal all the way down through. Um and so, you know, we've been doing good and getting a lot of good things passed uh, for us as well and, and trying to do as much as we can with as limited resources as we have. Um, so let, just let's talk about two things here. Uh, you, you refer to the you refer to, to the PAC. Mm-hmm. And I, I, of course, know uh, more. But for our viewers who may not know what that is or what that does, what, what is a PAC? Why do we have one? What does it do? Sure. PAC is a political action committee. And so when you donate to a political action committee, uh, you have to donate as an individual. There's maximums on which you can donate uh, and that money comes in. And so we have this basically pot of money. And what it allows us to do, it is allows us to make donations to candidates for their campaigns. So when I said we went to a fundraising event for Congressman Joyce, uh, what he did is he put together, his people put together this event uh, where we got to go up and see Penn State and go to the hockey game and do some other fun things. Uh, that came with your donation, right? So we donated because Joyce, being in Pennsylvania, understands how important it is, and he's been a very big supporter of ours. So we want to make sure that his campaign has cash so that he can run and he can win. Um, and so that's what a political action committee is able to do. It's able We identify candidates. We identify races that they're in. And if there are candidates that we feel uh, are going to need cash, um, then we go ahead and we'll, we'll offer that donation to them and helps them have money in their coffers. Um, and, you know, it's kind of one of those things to where, uh, you know, it's you know, pay to play type of thing or people kind of get upset about it. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, it takes money to run a campaign. And if you support a candidate and you want them to win, you, you know, you donate. 
And if you're a supporter, then, you know, it's easier for you to be able to sit down and have a conversation with them um, about why you support them and why they ought to be supporting you. And when we have a lot of people that are in the Cigar Caucus uh, on Capitol Hill, it's important for us to maintain good relationships with them. It's important that they get reelected because the longer they're in office, uh, the more um, seniority they'll have and a lot more uh, weight that they can carry when they're doing things for us. And so um, it's good. We're, we're, we're definitely moving in the right direction. We've got 40 members of the Cigar Caucus now. We're going in and it's bipartisan. We're going to have Democrat co-chair, you know, probably a dozen other Democrats that are going to be coming in here in the next session. So um, it's, it's, um, it's all trending in the right direction, you know, and the more and more, again, going back to the previous conversation, the more and more mainstream we get this, the more and more we get politicians to understand that this is not the, the fight of the 90s and going after the cigarette companies. This is a very, very different thing entirely, and they need to educate themselves. And that's what our role is for. You know, I asked this question uh, again on Tuesday to Glenn and, and Josh when we had them on Scar Group Primetime Special Edition. And so I wanted to ask you guys, I wanted to get your opinion on it. They 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 used, they said it quite a bit, and we I asked them this question the same verbatim, so no hidden agenda here. What why is why are cigars bipartisan? So the main reason is is because it's not big tobacco. And when I say that, I don't necessarily mean that in, in, in the normal sense. There are issues that are related to this industry that both sides of the aisle support. So one of the things that we just did on Wednesday is we had the ambassador of the Dominican Republic come and we talked about 100,000 plus jobs, most of whom are women that are supported by this industry in the Dominican Republic. It's a half a million in the Caribbean basin. Again, the majority of whom are women. When you look at the schools and hospitals that have been built by this industry and you look at that, you're talking to primarily the Democrat side of the aisle when you're talking about those things. When you start talking about small businesses and you're talking about entrepreneurialism and thriving and being able to build um, you know, companies, that speaks more to the Republican side of things, lowering taxes and allowing businesses to thrive and innovate. That's a Republican talking point. The other aspect of it is, is that I've been in countless rooms with Democrats and Republicans smoking cigars and everybody is fast friends. It's one of those. It really, truly is. It, it, it's so cliche at this point because we say it so often, but it really, truly is. Great. Walk, this, is, this is why I love going into lounges, because you walk in and you don't know somebody other than the fact that they are sitting there enjoying a cigar just like you are. And the cigar is an investment. Not only, I mean, look, it's not necessarily super expensive, but it's not cheap. But it's an investment of your time as well. It's an investment of your personality as you're sitting there. It's, an, it's a two-hour investment at a minimum if you're going to go and sit down in a lounge and enjoy yourself. And you want that investment to be met with other people that are there for those same reasons, irrespective of backgrounds, irrespective of politics, irrespective of any of that. And, and, and it's actually one of those things to where you know, I like always bringing this point up where Storm Bowen talks about the fact that he has a group of veterans that gets together and smoke cigars and he hasn't lost one to suicide. And I think that it's because the cigar is such a fantastic bridge builder. And that's why it's bipartisan. Not only the elements of the industry speak to both sides of the aisle, but it brings the two sides of the aisle together mm -hmm. in very real ways. I mean, hell, I was... This was a couple of years ago, but I mean, Ami Bear, Democrat from California, Jeff Denham, a Republican from California, sitting in my office until 1130 at night, just the three of us smoking cigars and drinking scotch and wine. I mean, and that's, I mean, at the end of the day, when that happens, 
you get past the the sound bites on TV and the partisan bullshit, and you actually get down to relationships with people and being able to say, okay, look, let's look at policy from that perspective, not as a perspective of a tool uh, or weaponizing government, but just simply a public policy component of what is going to be best for people for their own self-determination. And both Republicans and Democrats get on board with that. It's just a mm-hmm. matter of the perspective at which you, you're coming from, from which you're coming. Sorry. Didn't mean I, to end that on a preposition. No, I think, I think that brings it to, <laughs> that's the English major in you talking. Um, exactly. the, um, I think that's, that brings to light about the, the, the complexity of this industry. You know, I've heard uh, Senator um, Manson talk about how it's a, it's a national security issue, you know, because if, 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 if we impact yeah. them, we impact this industry the way that they were talking about, I mean, it could have a major economic impact on some of these countries that just could completely, you know, erode, yeah. you know, some of the, the advances that they've been able to make. And that when, when you deteriorate and you eliminate it, you know, a huge economic impact of any industry, right? This, it could be anything. It doesn't have to be cigars, right? Um, I mean, in countries where it matters that much, I mean, it could descend into chaos, like literally. And it's not, that's not even an over, yeah. that's not even a stretch. Yeah. And that's why, again, um, I tend to lose patience with policymakers that only see policy in a tiny, tiny way, the very myopic, right? Um, policy always has unintended consequences. Um, as the great Thomas Sowell always said, it's not a solution. It's about trade-offs. Every, everything is always going to be about trade-offs. And so that's why it's frustrating. And thank God he's gone, but Mitch Zeller was didn't care. Mitch Zeller did not care what he was going to leave in his wake as long as nobody ever lit a tobacco leaf on fire again. You know, Dick Durbin, he doesn't care. He just wants tobacco gone too. He doesn't care. But at the end of the day, I've already had conversations with manufacturers where they're already losing people in their factories because it's open season at the border. You know, and Congressman Muser, when he was at our townhouse on Wednesday, talked about this. He's like, you want to talk about root causes, losing jobs and stability in these countries is a root cause of why you're seeing the influx at the border. You want to see mass chaos and you want to talk, you know, Manchin talking about it, right, as far as um, national security, half a million workers depend upon this industry. And in fact, one salary for a woman in, in the Dominican Republic or other it takes care of eight people. So you wipe that out, you're going to have a half a million or more because those eight people are depending upon that salary. Going to come flooding in. We can't handle it as it is right now. What the hell makes them think that they're going to be able to handle five hundred thousand people, or even even half that? Two hundred, even even yeah, even half that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it and and again communities that have been built up around this that are thriving because of this it just it makes no sense it's it's very very anti-american as far as that's concerned and that's why it doesn't make any sense and that's why uh like you know education that we talk about when we go in and we have these discussions we've made great headway and in fact one of the interesting ways that i didn't think we were going to get headway in the previous administration's fda but they said, look, your story of small businesses is resonating with this. When we met with the Office of Stakeholder Relations, talking about the small businesses that have been built up in this country on this product, um, they said it's resonating. And so I think that once you start to take a more macro look at the totality of the industry and what it means, not just here, 
but the whole macro level, and I, I mentioned this actually to Congressman Muser. I said, you know, Pennsylvania, you think about this. The, some of the world's largest retailers are headquartered there. Pennsylvania as a state is impacting, you know, a $1 billion plus industry around the world then, given mm-hmm. the nature of everything that goes on here. I said, so he's like, yeah, he said, you don't have to convince me. I know how important the industry is to the state of Pennsylvania. And, and so when you take a look at it at that level, and you can kind of help them see, look, you're, you're, they tend to look, I, I do this with my kids all the time, but I was like, you tend to look at the problem as if the problem is right here and it's too big, but you got to scale out to actually see what the problem is. And the handful of times we've been able to discuss, we've discussed this with a few Democrats and have been able to help them see and change positions a little bit is that fact right there. They don't consider that at all. They don't consider it at all. And once they do, they make them stop and think. I think that's probably one of the most important elements of our education is just seeing, seeing it beyond what we're lighting on fire. You know, you mentioned like Dick Durbin, um, who just wants, you know, the industry to go away, not just the cigar industry, wants the tobacco industry to go away. Right. Yeah. You know, and uh, on Tuesday, I, I saw this document. I pulled up this document from tobacco free kids for Glenn and Josh. I don't know if you've seen it since it's probably one of the shortest things I've ever read from, from tobacco free kids. It's only two pages, uh, but it's, it's a, it's, are you familiar with this document? It's a, it's a, how to make state cigar tax rates fair and effective. Uh, may have seen that. Okay. I'll, I'll pull it up on my screen. Just sort of, um, just so you can kind of see my reference and for it. Um, but the, uh, there are a couple of interesting points on here. Um, uh, you know, they uh, want to, you know, oh, they, yeah. they talk about matching the state's cigar tax rate for both large and small cigars, which we've, you know, we've battled raising the cigar tax rate whenever any other tobacco products are increased. Um, eliminate caps, which again, you talked about earlier how we've been, we've been fighting for, right? Uh-huh. So that, again, that uh-huh. makes sense. My favorite is the last one, which uh, uh, Josh and Glenn had no comment because they didn't want to, <laughs> they didn't want to agree, but I found it comical, absolutely hilarious. Make sure no cigarettes can qualify as cigars under state law. You can read that a certain way. That's literally what we've been screaming about for you know twelve years. <laughs> but we're not the same <laughs> at all. Uh, yeah. and so in a roundabout way, it's, it's funny that we actually agree on something. I won't put words in your mouth. You're not saying that. I'm saying that. Uh, but. <laughs> Well, I mean, and also, I mean, uh, yeah. Their well, their their agenda is obviously completely opposite of ours. It, they, well, but <laughs> even when they were on this NASM thing, they don't even have an answer for the fact that even even though they're trying to find it, they cannot find statistically significant kids under eighteen smoking cigars. They can't. They try to complain. They conflate the cigars that you can buy for 99 cents at the convenience store with what we're doing. Um, and they won't even answer my question when I say, okay, you're, you know, you're, you say use, you define the word use. What is the consumption of it and so on and so forth. And, and, and to the point to where even Oregon um, had something on there about how they wanted a flavor ban. And they basically said that a tobacco product that smelled like weed was exempt. So it's this interesting um, 
crossroads that they're at. I mean, their their arguments against any of it are, are weak because, to your point, they talk out of both sides of their mouth. And the only argument that they came up with when we were on this NASM study, when we were you know providing testimony, was that Nick Jonas was on the cover of Cigar Aficionado. So, of course, we must be targeting 10-year-olds. Yes. Never mind, he's an adult. Never mind, he's an adult. And I was like, well, okay, so are you the same people that are complaining that because Miley Cyrus was Hannah Montana that she can't, you know, go do what she did on what was that wrecking ball? <laughs> are, are you trying to tell me mm-hmm. that you still see her as a preteen kid that's out there dancing? Because, I mean, you have issues then. But not to mention, not to mention that you have some of the biggest stars in the world, like The Rock and Ryan Reynolds, that are hawking their liquor on social media all the time. There's no age gatekeeper there. Yeah. More kids, more kids, more kids get addicted to alcohol, die from alcohol and drunk driving in one week than have ever from a cigar. Yeah. Because they no. don't because nobody dies or gets addicted to cigars. Exactly. No, my that was a that was a stat that I brought up uh, when Coop and I were on a show once that we were talking about. It. I was like, you know, I said they're they're rough numbers. They weren't they weren't completely thought out, but the amount they talk about usage, right? So like the, the usage that they're even claiming, which is inaccurate, mm-hmm. is inaccurate, right? The uses that they're claiming for tobacco for cigars, which we've all we've all we've poked tolls all through that. It's an inaccurate number. But I said just for for like let's play devil's advocate for two seconds. Let's just say it was right. That number is dwarfed by proven statistical an accurate statistical usage of alcohol use among yeah. among youth. Yeah. And you know what's really interesting? And we're, and we're the problem. Right. Well, here's what's really interesting. And here's the shit that they're going to have to deal with in short order is that you're starting to see – it was funny. So speaking of these podcasts, yeah, Tom Segura was interviewing a guy by the name of Andrew Huberman. He's a PhD neuroscientist. And Tom Segura being the comedian says, so you're telling me cigarettes are good for you? And he's like, no. But nicotine – has significant health benefits, particularly in warding off Alzheimer's and dementia. And there's another guy, his name escapes him right now, but he's a nutritionist that's out there that talks about different aspects for help, especially when it comes to like gut health. But there's nicotine pills that you can take that are that are healthful nootropics that help regulate um, you know, your gut health too. So it's really interesting because they're very, very anti-nicotine at this point because of the synthetic nicotine that, he, that the, um, the vaping companies make their liquids out of, right? Mm-hmm. They don't make it out of tobacco. They make it mostly out of eggplant and it's synthetic. But at the end of the day, there are health benefits that are out there from people that have nothing to do with this industry that are talking about from nicotine, right? And when confronted with things like, does the usage not tell you that it's not addictive? Because there are people that get addicted to things very easily after one or two use. But I mean, look, if you only smoke, if you only drink one drink of scotch a month, you are not an alcoholic. If I'm only smoking one cigar a month on, you know, what the average is one to two, 1.2 days out of every month is what the average cigar smoker smokes. And it was really interesting because um, someone asked this question, but I followed it up too when we were talking about it because they were saying, look, if it's, you know, you're looking at 5% of the population and of that, you know, you have a very small percentage that even smokes more than the the average, you're looking at like 130,000 people. Why the hell are we going through all of this for 130,000 people? And those 130,000 people do not show any debilitating health effects from smoking more than 1.2 premium cigars a month. They haven't shown it. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I this is the thing that I keep did I it just drives me crazy about the whole nicotine discussion about how the narrative that got pushed uh, and is 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 absorbed by our society as nicotine being bad. And you pointed out some of the the positives of nicotine. But what I keep telling people is that nicotine's not the problem. To the layman, when I have these discussions, they're like, oh, aren't you worried about the nicotine? Isn't there more nicotine in a cigar than a cigarette? I'm like, yes, because there's more tobacco. And it's mm-hmm. it's actual it's actual tobacco. I said, you know what's not? I said, you know what one of the smallest amount of ingredients is in a cigarette? It's tobacco. There's so much more in a cigarette than just tobacco. To say well, nothing of the also- fact that it's wrapped in paper and it's not wrapped in a cigar leaf. Well, a couple of the, a couple of the things that I like to use for people is let's take a cow and if i take a cow and i make a bunch of processed mcdonald's cheeseburgers and i double fist those things three or four times a day i'm gonna have some health problems pretty quick but if i have you know a nice cut of kobe beef that's prepared by a professional chef that knows what he's doing and i will spend the money for that delicious cut and the way that that chef has prepared it maybe once a month not in any danger of that red meat causing me heart disease at that point or diabetes mm-hmm. or any cardiovascular issues. It's the same cow, just treated very differently and mm-hmm. ingested very differently. And it's the same exact thing here. Well, these aren't these aren't the double cheeseburgers that you're sucking down three or four times a day. This is this is the this is the supreme cut of beef that is expertly prepared and cured and crafted by a world class chef that you're enjoying once or twice a month at most, on average. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Or to the other point, though, it's like, okay, you can have a high proof of alcohol, but I'm only going to sip it because I'm only sipping two ounces, and that's my drink for the evening. I'm not going to get plastered or drunk off of that, but I can go ahead and pound a 12-pack of beer, but that's going to be worse for me than sipping on that higher proof alcohol, to your point about nicotine content. Mm-hmm. It's still that alcohol, nicotine, right? Yeah. Right. That nicotine is not going through your system the same way that it is when it's going in. And again, to your point, there are other carcinogens and other things that are put into the cigarettes in order to deliver that nicotine into the bloodstream as quickly as possible in order for you to get addicted. That's not the purpose of the cigar. I made this point when I was on the doing my testimony for NASM. If this was, in fact, a nicotine delivery system, it's the worst design system because otherwise there would be higher rates of use. They don't have any answers. All they do is <laughs> point to Nick Jonas. <laughs> Thousand percent. So um, the just to kind of go back to uh, what we're talking about with some of the other stories that have happened recently with PCA. So uh, a couple there one promotion uh, that I think yep. is really interesting to talk about. And then also you guys hired a, a new staff member recently. But let's talk about Ryan Parada, who's done an incredible job for you all. He's been a part of the staff for a while, mm-hmm. but he was recently promoted. Um and um, to uh, make sure I get his title right, so um, I don't want to don't want to disrespect senior senior manager senior manager yeah. of government affairs and international policy. Now this is much different than what Glenn does on the state level and what Josh does on the Hill. Uh, Ryan's focus is much is 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 is, is international, which we've obviously taken a, a PCA has taken a much bigger interest in Canada uh, specifically. But uh, but yeah. but but Ryan covers the globe essentially, right? Is that yeah, yeah. So, so when he first started, you know, he reached out to us because he loved cigars and did an internship with us, and then uh, did so well, graduated, and then we offered him full time employment. Um, and so he works on kind of 
all of them, you know, kind of assisting where Josh needs him and, and where Glenn needs him. So he will do some federal stuff and he will definitely help uh, Glenn with the states just because there's so much to do. But with the international, one of the things that we started to notice over the past couple of years is that really, really, really awful policy is starting in some of these places, whether it's New Zealand or Malaysia, Canada, some of these other places. So we want to start organizing because we want to put the fire out before it ever really lights anything, you know, on, on fire larger than a little piece of kindling. We want to put it out because that can have a tendency to spread and get picked up and start going in other places. And suddenly now it's all over Europe and then suddenly it's in Canada. And then suddenly some, you know, politician here gets a bright idea of trying to copy that. So we want to start. And one of the things when we went to, we went to Interchabac, uh, Josh and I did, and we presented, we said, look, here's how we've been successful in the States. Here's the data the U S government has got on, you know, premium tobacco usage and, and health um, and everything else. They don't have any of that over there. So we wanted to present that and say, here's the material. Here's how you can use it. Here's ways in which we can use it. Um, so we want to start doing that. We want to export the good stuff that we've got, but we also want to be able to stamp out the bad as well. Um, you know, a lot of my background uh, for a majority of the beginning of my career was in international, you know, um, relations development. I worked at a place called International Road Federation, and that's a lot of what we did. We, you know, worked with other local agencies or other in local uh, countries around the world and would set up and do different things in those countries to help um, promote policies and other uh, aspects and initiatives. And we want to kind of take a similar model. And, and so Ryan is really going to kind of spearhead that for us to pay attention to what's going on, liaise with these other places around the world, because it's very important because the world is very small now in terms of communications. And so, uh, again, bad policy can spread really, really, really fast. And we want to make sure that we can prevent that as much as we possibly can. Um, is this something that we could potentially see? Um, I think our focus will always be, lo you know, local being our, you know, our, our members, which are retailers, obviously, in, in this country. Um, but is this a possibility that we could see this position and this department of PCA scale to where, you know, Ryan's managing, you know, you know, I'll just throw a number out there, dozens of folks in a, in a team to, to, to combat some of these things so like so that they never do face our shores? Absolutely. I mean, look, Grand Vision is that, you know, Brian is has got dozens, you know, that are kind of stationed around the world. I, you know, I mean, basically it would be sort of the same model, uh, again, kind of where I came from, the way we had it set up. But the way we also want to set it up for the states, we have multiple representatives around the country in different states that are liaising with, with Glenn and with others um, to be able to focus on those states. I would say the same thing for these other territories around the world, have people that are dedicated to those areas where we can liaise and we can also, you know, provide resources. But at the same time, we need local people that are paying attention and or know the local um, laws and policies and players in order for us to be able to aid them in the appropriate way. So I would see a very much a parallel with the way that we can enact sort of an international policy team the same way that we have a local policy team. That's awesome. Well, good for Ryan. That's a uh, well-deserved. He's doing um, a tremendous job and uh, loves the industry. So it's, it's great. I'm very uh, happy that uh, we were able to keep him and that uh, he wants to continue with this. And uh, so he was able to uh, take on some more responsibility. Um, I loved this next hire that you guys had uh, recently, the last couple of weeks. Um, we're talking about uh, Lisa Sigler, who's been yeah. a part of the industry for well over a decade. And I, if, if memory serves right, I believe she started off at La Polina 
Yep. Um, and then she uh, became like an area like rep or broker for multiple brands. I, I know she's worked with Gran Habano, Casa Cuevas, uh, JRE, uh, and Nova Cigars, for example, and stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, I've I've been a follower of hers on social media for a long time too, just because I know uh, she reps some of my my personally favorite brands and everything like that. But uh, she's yeah. done a great job. Um, she's now the uh, the new uh, director of membership development industry relations. So um, let's talk about the position first. Um, when when did when did the decision to come down that this was a position that you needed filled, and then we can get onto uh, why Lisa was the the candidate of your choosing. Yeah, so the pandemic necessitated a, a little bit of downsizing, obviously, um, and some responsibilities have kind of been divvied up amongst uh, several staff, um, myself included. And so kind of coming out of the trade show last year um, and, you know, me being able to um, and along with my staff, I mean, my staff has been just absolutely tremendous in terms of um, getting on board with with what we needed to do. But being able to say, look, we're, you know, and Greg, you know, Zimmerman is president of the uh, board said, look, we have some goals that we want to do. We want to get back to financial stability and we want to staff back up. And so we've accomplished that. Uh, we staff back up to this need. Um you know, kind of taking a look at it strategically a little bit, saying what what specifically, um, you know, and, and membership development and industry relations go hand in hand. It's being out amongst the members. It's it's working with them. So, you know, being able to kind of capitalize on that with things like booth sales and sponsorship sales that she'll eventually kind of take on for Lisa Cox. Um, but then also the membership development component of being able to, you know, utilize the experience that she's had as a rep, which um, when I talked to her about this, she loves that. So she is uh, going to be a road warrior for us. So she um, and, and I, um, but, you know, sometimes she um, just by herself visiting members, going out and, and visiting shops who may not be members or who are lapsed members um, and being able to kind of develop those relationships, help us find out. Uh, she's already hit the ground running at a sprint for crying out loud, just because she's, that's just who she is. Um, you know, I met her a while ago um, at uh, uh, route seven when he opened up a second location. And so um, I told her, I was like, look, you know, it's always been in the back of my mind when I met you there. And, 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 and it was just sort of serendipitous confluence when this kind of all came to be I saw her at the trade show last year and, and then followed up with her a little bit later when the, this was going to become a reality. Um, but really, ultimately, um, it, it, it kind of comes down to being able to be a lot more connected with retailers. And I, and for me, it just makes sense that if it's connected with the retailers, it's connected with the manufacturers, because that's what we are. We are this platform that wants to bring manufacturers together with retailers. And, and I think that, um, you know, she's already, you know, getting ideas from retailers. She's already coming to the table with a lot of stuff. And so she's um, already making a, a great impact. And so I'm very very, very happy that um, she's decided to join us. I'm thrilled for her. And it sounds like she'll be taking uh, things off of the plate for, for both Aaron and Lisa, who were probably doing a lot of that uh, work. And what will, what will uh, by Lisa coming on and taking over these responsibilities, what will that allow, uh, what would it allow Lisa and Aaron be able to, to do? What, what areas will they be able to refocus in? Yeah. So, so with Lisa Cox, this is great because, um, you know, Lisa and I have been just sort of um, eyeball deep in everything from contract negotiations and hotels. And, you know, we want to do more events. We want to do more things. And now Lisa can focus a lot more on that and, you know, managing more events at the townhouse and, and helping a lot uh, in that regard. Um, 
And so that that's going to free up a lot of her time to do that as well. Um, for Aaron, you know, Aaron has, you know, done a phenomenal job of being able to pick up the slack for, for two positions um, and kind of just learn all this membership stuff kind of on the fly as she's going. But I'm really excited because now Aaron can kind of get back to uh, focusing on what her bread and butter is, which is that marketing communications and helping us grow our communications platform in new and interesting ways um, and, and being able to take the work of Lisa Siegler, take the work of the the um, the government affairs team and some of these other things that we're doing and making sure that, that people know about them, growing what we do, uh, whether it's magazine, whether, you know, uh, you know, we're going to be coming up with a new website for the, the trade show, um, you know, working on new initiatives like that. So there's a lot of work that that is, you know, kind of was put on hold when the pandemic hit that um, I'm really excited that she's going to be able to pick back up and really focus uh, her talents on that. Um, and so it's going to be really, really good. So it's all going to get back to kind of working in that same way where each sort of wheel in that machine is going to be propelling all the other wheels forward and, and vice versa. So one of the hot button topics over uh, at PCA this year, uh, based on a survey that you guys put out and then later released the uh, the findings of that survey in the fall, uh, just a couple months later, was talking about venue changes or the potential for mm-hmm. venue changing and the potential, uh, the, the potential for date changes as well for for the PCA trade show. And um, I mean, I think these uh, for I, you know, it's like anything we we're talking about politics most most of tonight's guy. It's like it's it seems like it's the loud minority that shouts the most, and that's what you hear. But when you kind of dig deep and actually find out that you know there's there's a lot more there's or that really doesn't that that particular issue that's being screamed about necessarily isn't as big as we think. But like uh, according to the results of the survey, and and if I'm misquoting it, please tell me if I'm wrong. But um, about sixty two percent, you know, of of the polled people and and again, I, I, uh, I know you guys didn't disclose the number of surveys actually taken, but, but it was like 62% of the people thought that the dates, specifically the time of year that the trade show happens, was they rated it good, very good, and exceptional. So that had to that had to be pretty positive for the for the keeping the show the time of year that it is. Yeah, you know, we we did a follow up one as well. Um, I think that um, while that's true. Um, there's a lot. I'll go back. I'm going to, I'm going to rely a little bit here on, on, uh, you know, business school and, and marketing as, as I did for, you know, as long as I did before uh, this position, but um, surveys are good, but surveys can also give you the answer they're designed to give you. And now I'm not saying that we designed it in that specific way. What I'm saying is we asked a question when people came to the show and the good news is, is that people had a good experience. They're like, yeah, this time of year is, is good or it's great for me. We had a good show. Everything was fine. Um, and you know, we can come and do all these other things. Um, when we asked the follow-up question specifically about time of year, day changes, when people sit back and take stock, they're not necessarily congruent. Right. Um, and I am very much a believer in the philosophy of, of good old Henry Ford when he says, if I had given my customers what they wanted, I would have given them a faster horse. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, we, we, we take a look at that and, and we're kind of going under advisement, but at the same time, we kind of also have to really understand the feel for the industry, the flow of the industry, um, where that's at and, and what we can do in ways that's going to help business. Um, again, our mission is to grow, especially tobacco, especially tobacco retailing. So, um, you know, things are not definitive right now. Things are in the works and negotiations and things like that. Um, we, we will probably see some, some venue changes, um, 
and um, potentially some date changes as well. Is that, do you think that will be uh, a permanent change uh, or do you think that'll be like uh, a trial of change or what, um, or still, so, still, still in flux? Cause it's, yeah, uh, you know, it hasn't if been we, decided. Sorry, my computer is popping up asking me all kinds of crap right now. I might just have to leave it up there. It doesn't matter. You can't see it, so it doesn't matter. Um, so the tough thing about this is um, when talking with them, you know, we have, you know, manufacturers on the board now, right, as full voting members. And, you know, some of them said, look, if you're going to move the dates of the trade show, it can't just be a one and done. It's worse if you did that than if you were to move the dates of the trade show because – you have to plan for it. You got to get production and everything else. And then if you change the dates, then it's just kind of sets everything askew. So, you know, if, if the decision is that we are going to move the dates and it comes to fruition, it, that's going to stick. It's going to have to stick for years. Um, and, and then, you know, go through that. It's really tough to do. And it's really tough to truly gauge the success or failure of something just after once, especially when it sure. would be a shift like this. Right. Um, and so, um, if it does in fact change, then, um, you know, it's going to change for several years. Um, as far as venues concerned, uh, you know, we continue to look at places that will, will take us. There's a couple that, that will, it's also trying to find if timing works and things like that. And we're also trying to work with some other aspects of, of different, um, regulations or other things that might allow us to go to some other places. So yeah, like non-smoking, obviously the smoking bans and things like that make it, make it seemingly difficult. Correct. And, you know, we're, yeah. So we've, you know, like lead certified buildings and are there ways in which we can, we've, we've learned some things about that now. So we're trying to dive deeper into, is there an economic impact? If you, the smoking event were to happen, if it's exempted and if that's the case, what is that? And our economic imprint that comes to the city and would that offset for maybe that year that they don't have. So there's all kinds of craziness that we have to look into when it comes to all the logistics of setting up a meeting like ours. Because that was another part of the survey too. Was about ninety-two percent of it. Ninety-two uh, percent of the people surveyed. Again, this was pre-follow-up, the one that you were talking about. But uh, uh, the original survey, ninety-two percent of the, the rated the the venue, the Venetian specifically in Las Vegas, good, very good, or exceptional, mm-hmm. uh, which is incredibly positive. So, um, I mean, does it say uh, you, you said venue changes? So, are we? Are we t- you mentioned other other places beyond Vegas. At least I'm, that's what I inferred from your comment a second ago. Um, I mean, are we seriously thinking about uh, making a potential change outside of Vegas or, or, or are we thinking about staying in Vegas, but at a different location? Like what, what did those, what did those Easy, different look like? E- easiest answer to that question is yes. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, if we entertain a date change, it will uh, not be able to be held at the Venetian. They've told us that the only dates they have available for us that would allow smoking is that July frame. Uh, just because they don't have anything on either end bookended um, to go into any other time of the year. We've asked them multiple times for uh, if they had other dates that we could consider in an RFP. Uh, and they don't have because they don't want us to be in the middle of another show or they can't have smoking because these other halls are filled or other people are there. Uh, so that's what it kind of comes down to with them. Places. 
um, that would allow smoking. You know, New Orleans is another place that will allow smoking. We've looked at Tampa, um, other places that will allow smoking and size and everything else is, is all of it's considered. And so we've been going through all of that exercise for about a year and a half now. And, and now we're kind of in the stages of negotiating things with a couple of different places. And so I anticipate that, you know, maybe in a couple of weeks, we'll have some finality to, um, to at least next year's show that we'll be able to announce shortly. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's all still to be determined because we're still in, in uh, negotiations with some with some things. So it really is. It has not been decided, Scott. Like plain and simple. It and it will, but it will be here in short order. It. I'll just say this: it has been decided, but nothing has been signed. I guess it's it's been decided that we are pursuing this course of action, but I can't really go into what that course of action is because nothing's sure. been signed, right? Because you know. Gotcha. It, could go belly up and then suddenly we're back to, Hey, by the way, we're going to the Venetian in July yeah. of 24 as well. So, and you're yeah. like, and then, then you're like, well, look what he said at Don Bear's show. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, so, I, I, yeah. yeah. Nothing's, nothing's final until it's the, it's the, the line is this, the line is dotted and everything. Listen, the, the line is signed and everything's dotted. I get it. So, um, but I, I, you mentioned Tampa and Tampa has always been one of my favorite choices just because of what it means, the, what that city means to the industry, the historical significance, obviously, and everything. But, and, and I'm not trying to back you into a corner here, Scott, but what I've heard that there's a, there's a significant problem with Tampa in the sense that it's not even the smoking thing. It's the, there's, there's, there may not be a venue that could, that is, could, could, could help, could host us. Is, is there any truth to that or, or any difficulty yeah. with that? Okay. Yeah. The challenge that we have there is we use about 500,000 square feet of space at the Venetian right now. And um, Tampa only has 200,000 square feet of space for exhibit hall. And they might be adding another 50,000 by years and next year, I think. The challenge is, is that to fit us all in there, um, they won't allow smoking outside of the exhibit hall for Tampa. We'd have run of the place, but we could only smoke on the in the exhibit hall so the education that wouldn't be any different than what we have now though right right but we build out the education and the opening party and everything else (coughs) on the show floor area that's why we use so much space right okay so to use to do an exhibit hall we would need about three hundred fifty thousand square feet of space maybe just slightly less so it's a hundred thousand more than what they even have because you got to take into account aisles and other things and fire exits and everything else and stuff. So we have about 350,000 with the two exhibit halls where we build the exhibit space. And right now we're fast approaching almost being out of space, uh, almost because of the backstaging area and the food courts and everything that we have to put up. So, um, and then the amount of booths that, you know, people are interested in, in getting. So um, that's the challenge with Tampa um, is that we wouldn't be able to smoke like in the ballroom. If we could just use that 250,000 for just the exhibit hall, we could condense some things down, I think, um, and make it workable. If we could have the parties and the education and everything else and still have smoking, but they have told us that we wouldn't be able to do that. So, you know, um, that's, that's the main challenge that, that um, exists with Tampa. Well, sounds like sounds like Josh and Glenn need to get to work on Louisville. Get those get those cigar bars legalized uh, because yeah. they, they're the Louisville Convention Center. I know for a fact is the largest in the country, and yeah, I, it's it, huge. It's massive. That's the trade show I was talking about earlier in the show that I've attended for my day job. It's and it's massive. Yeah, and it could definitely definitely hold us. And it's fairly times new over. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the old one is. Um, a little bit farther out but the new one's right downtown yeah 
One little tidbit of knowledge I'll throw to you. I know it's not necessarily on the menu, but when you guys think about it and consider it too, is 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 make sure that uh, uh, you guys iron out the details on Wi-Fi and internet connection because that 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 place is a labyrinth <laughs> of of dead connections. So that's funny. Yeah, so just little It'll- little. Little tidbit of knowledge there for you. <laughs> I, I will bet you it is hundreds of thousands of dollars cheaper for us to do a Wi-Fi drop in Louisville than it would cost us to try to deal one at the Venetian. A thousand percent. I'm with you. <laughs> There's yeah, no argument with you there. No yeah. argument. Uh, so, uh, but well, that's good that that, that that's going to be progressing, and we'll be seeing a decision here shortly on that. Um, I know that that's that's the question pretty much on everybody's mind is what you know what's going to be happening next year and everything. Yeah, I would have loved to have been able to announce it already, but you know, lawyers they 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 take too much time. Not ours. Ours are great. It's theirs on the other side. They're taking a little bit too much time. Gotcha. So as we look to this year's trade show and this trade show specifically, what what uh, what are some of the things that you are really excited that you guys are going to be building on from this past year that it's going to look even better? Because uh, I'll kind of lead you down this path a little bit. I feel like. The PCA exclusives have really, really took a really nice step upward from 21 to 22. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure that's going to be probably a, a, probably another push for that um, for 23. But um, and you could certainly answer that question. But that and what else are you guys are you guys excited about building on and, and stepping up in certain areas with this year's trade show? Yeah, so I kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, um, but one of the things that we are focusing a little bit more on is um, the a lot of the excitement about that Friday that we had last year. And one of the things that we want to do is we want to uh, capitalize on that. So last year we had Fuente uh, do his seminar. So we've got some um, good uh, hitters that are coming to do kind of a a multi um, uh, cigar vendor event. that's going to happen um, for two hours before. And then we're changing. We used to have an annual meeting breakfast and we're going to change that to a Friday this year, I think. Um, and then oh, that way that, okay. way, and then, yeah. And, um, we're gonna, in years past, we've had keynote speakers last couple of years. We didn't, um, this year we're going to bring back a keynote speaker. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a really fun one. Actually, he, um, it's kind of, it's going to be a lot of, uh, it's kind of more entertainment, but, um, uh, but also a good keynote where you can learn some stuff. Um, probably wait to announce that here in just a, in a, in a little bit, but suffice it to say yeah, that ultimate um, tease there, Scott, damn it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think people have a lot of fun. Um, and, and then, um, you know, we're, uh, gonna have an opening party, um, probably, you know, a special guest, the opening party, um, that, uh, people are going to want to come and see as well. Um, and and have that on that Friday. So that Friday is going to be jam packed. It's going to be actually a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Um, also I don't think I'm going to, you know, ruin anything here. So I hope that they forgive me if I do, um, in, in terms of this, but, um, you know, the guys from Handrolled have been filming sort of a docu-series, um, and they've reached out. I think we're, you know, um, potential teaser here, but I think we're going to premiere the first episode, um, at some point, um, during the show, uh, as well. We're trying oh, to find a time slot for that. So that'll be fun. Um, and, and, uh, and then we've got some really interesting things where, um, also Red Meat Lovers Club is going to be doing an event on Sunday night. I think, um, we're still working on the details there, but I know that we're working on trying to do something with the Red Meat Lovers Club, uh, for that event as well. Um, while we're there on site, um, and you know, um, we're doing the happy hours again, um, and, uh, so we're, and then again, like I said, we've moved education to, to beforehand. So we're going to be doing kind of our coffee talks beforehand, doing a good retail round table with some folks. And then we're bringing in a company that's going to teach people all about tobacco tax compliance. I know that doesn't sound sexy, but 
in this world, if you're selling in more than one state, really, we have a company that's going to come in that's going to go through all that and teach people some good things in terms of ways in which you know that you can be in compliance and things like that. So, you know, some high quality education. Um, and then, we, uh, like I said, we have the happy hours back and, um, you know, all of those are going to be sponsored again. And so those will be some some good times that we're going to have there. And then um, we're working on something for a uh, potential Saturday night too. And again, that's kind of in the works and wrapped up with some of the negotiations that we got going on uh, for 2024. But I'm guardedly optimistic we might actually have something um, fun and big planned for, for that night as well. So again, we're looking at trying to maintain this level of connectedness and hanging out and being together in multiple capacities, not only just the trade show floor, but before and then afterwards in, in various levels um, so that people can really stay together. Uh, so much business is done off the show floor at Bar Luca that you know we want to be able to maintain that in, in different capacities uh, across the board. So we're really looking to have multiple activations for people to have a lot of fun and then also providing some um, some good education. Like with these blending seminars, I'm actually really excited because I think it's going to be really insightful that if you're there as a tobacconist to hear from some of, of you know, these master blenders through these factories and these farms and what's been going on and what to expect and things that are coming out. Um, and then obviously I'm a big proponent of, of the PCA exclusives. My cigar earlier today was the Crux uh, um, PCA exclusive, the Limitado, which I just absolutely love that cigar. Um, fantastic. And, uh, and in fact, kind of looking at, at, you know, doing, you know, PCA exclusive type events at, at uh, you know, retailers around the country, engaging more consumers to kind of get involved with our cigar action and things like that. So uh, really looking forward to seeing all the exclusives that are released in, in that regard, too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's just in a quick nutshell. Uh, there's a lot that's going on for the show this year. We're, again, reinvesting back into to making it even more uh, fun and exciting for people. But that fun and excitement really is all about making sure people have more opportunities to to stay engaged and network and to, to see people and to, to talk business in, you know, a fun way. That is exciting. That's good stuff. The uh, uh, Talking about the PCA exclusives, is there – do you guys have a set deadline that companies have to submit that they're that they're going to be uh, contributing uh, at a certain point? It is it, like I'm not even sure how that works, and so I'm just kind of um, if the yeah. question sounds vague, I apologize, but that's like I, I really don't know how any of that works. So I'm just curious, and if you can shed yeah. light on it. Well, yeah, it's still a little bit of a um, grassroots sort of campaign, kind of as it, as it started a couple of years ago. Um, what we want is we want to get all of that information in as early as possible because we want to promote it. We want to get it in the magazine. We want to get it in the directory. We want to get it out in emails and everything else so that people know about it and, and would love to even do you know shows like this um, discussing the, the exclusives. Um, I know we're putting all that material together now. I think that for the directory and other show stuff, it's basically the end of April is, is um, kind of where we would need it by. Um, but obviously, the earlier we can get that information, the better, because it's going to go up on the website. It'll go out into all the sponsored materials that we send out, and it goes. Um, and then, obviously, being able to plan to get it to the show so that we have it in the showcase in the PCA lounge. So we we mentioned this a little bit before that we actually went live, Scott. And there's, I mean, there there's a lot of changes going on, as you mentioned. There's some a lot you can't even allude to, just because it's like you said, it's not. It's still in the works. Decisions have been made, but they still need to be finalized. Um, how does the new board that's coming in affect a lot of this, these moving parts? Uh, cause it sounds like there's a lot of moving parts right now. So how does that, how does that, uh, how does one affect the other? 
Yeah, well, you know, the new board has come in, so this has been great, right? We've got five manufacturers that are on the board now that started last year at this time, and they're full voting members of the board with one uh, manufacturer that is on the executive committee. Um, so the current board as it exists right now is, you know, been able to provide a lot of good perspective in terms of is this direction we go? Here's what we've heard. And a lot of them are coming from places that we may not necessarily have heard of before. Uh, so it's been good getting, you know, new perspective and fresh eyes on some of these issues. Um, and, you know, again, we're going to be going into the election cycle here, starting in about another month or so when people can start submitting their applications. We're open elections now, right? And that started a couple of years ago, first time ever. If you're a member in good standing, you can, in fact, submit an application. The nominating committee reviews and we put a slate of candidates forward that people vote on. And the vote then, whoever wins, is the slate of candidates that we present at the annual meeting for the, the membership to, to approve. Um, and so this is something that's been kind of, I think, reinvigorating for the board is to kind of get a lot of this new perspective that comes in. It's very helpful um, because... Too often it can become a little easy to to just talk to who you know, and and while you can have a good network, um, it's you know basically Paul Revere versus William Dawes, right? William Dawes <laughs> rode farther and talked to more people, but Paul Revere knew different people in different segments, and that's why his word spread farther and wider, right? So it's that same type of thing as we want it to really capitalize on the Paul Revere component of our networks, and that's where I think the open elections really help spur that, and you get people that want to serve and come in, and all of them have done a fantastic job. I know Jay. Is not on right now, but Jay's one of them. And and so that really helps because when we get down to a lot of this, then you have 19 people in a room trying to really kind of make a decision. And, and you know, we offer our perspectives and everything, but really ultimately it's been good because I think we have a, a really good cross-section of members with good perspectives, different size of businesses in different locations um, and different experiences. Some have been in the, business, in, in the industry for 30 some odd years. Some have been in the industry for five or six years. So it's really good to have all of those perspectives. And I think that that allows us to have the cream rise to the top as it relates to all of our decisions. Great Revere Dawes reference, by the way. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> but just made the historian in me just shout with glee. Um, it was perfect. Um, but, um, and I know he's been a part of the board and part of PCA for a long time, and he's done great things for this industry. He's been a terrific retailer. Um, so, and I know you've worked with, alongside with him personally the last few years as well. So what can we expect different? Um, what will we see different from when Scott Regina takes over as president, uh, as, as Greg uh, Zimmerman's uh, term ends here this year? Yeah, I think that, you know, Greg well, coming in was really all about steady hand. We're going to get through this crisis and we're going to get back, you know, John obviously having to lead us through the crisis himself uh, through all of that. Um, and, and Greg kind of being able to kind of steady that. I think Scott coming in now comes in to a point to where we've settled in and, you know, now there's no sort of chaos or or um, controversy or, or crisis, right? So I think that, uh, you know, Scott's very measured um, and Scott, uh, by his nature, uh, likes the information, likes the, is, is very kind of calculating in that regard. So I think that's what you're going to kind of see here is kind of working with a lot of the initiatives that we want to do, but making sure that those initiatives are, um, you know, rooted in good sound um 
you know, plans and, and policies to ensure that we continue to operate at a high level with what we currently have, but making sure that when we do uh, new initiatives that they are in fact going to be successful and not, you know, get us too far out on the limb, you know, stay close to that trunk and, and making sure that, you know, again, we're accomplishing our goals, but at the same time, focusing on those areas that are going to help uh build us and also help accomplish those goals in new and more meaningful ways, um, you know, especially as it relates to things like state advocacy. So you mentioned going out on a limb here, and and and, and I promise I'm not really trying to pour salt in the wound here, uh, Scott, uh, because I know we mentioned it earlier and everything, but like Scott, and this is probably an unfair question. This is more of a fair question for Scott, and I know you're not Kim, so I apologize for that too, but uh, he was a very outspoken supporter of the cigar con when it was announced initially. Um, you know, my, I'm, I'm more curious as to see if like, if he's not rock the boat, cause that has such a negative connotation, but it, I, I'm looking forward to it because, you know, like you said, you, you guys have all these initiatives that are building upon the last couple of years and everything like that. I'm wondering if he's going to be able, if he's going to spread his wings, so to speak, and maybe shake it up, you know, uh, again, because that, I mean, you know, positive or negative, the cigar con definitely shook things up. Right. Uh, and he was a, he was a, a huge supporter of that. So I'm just wondering if 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 he has some grand visions of of, of change and rock and I don't want to rock the boat because again that makes it sound bad. Shaking things up. We'll go with that one. We'll go with that term. <laughs> yeah, from my perspective, that's not necessarily um, kind of how Scott is. Scott really is is very much a data driven guy, and Scott very is is he's very calculated. He wants to make sure that this and this. And this is set. Um, and so, you know, with the, being all in on the cigar con, you got to understand, I don't think most people understand this. That was something that had been worked on for years and years with other prior boards. Um, it was the, you know, the manufacturers, um, you know, that were bringing that and kind of really pushing that idea, especially at a time when they were looking at, you know, there was no end in sight for some of these lawsuits and the price tag just kept going up and up and up and up. And mm-hmm. I said, well, you know, if, if we can put on an event here that can raise money, that can pay for some of these lawsuits. And, you know, so Scott's looking at it from all of those, from all of those angles. Right. Okay. Um, That's fair. And so, um, and again, you know, when, you know, you're a successful retailer and you have the relationships with these manufacturers that you've had over the years and that relationship can, you know, build to some of these types of initiatives. And I see some of that actually continuing in that sense, but um Scott is very, very measured. I shouldn't say calculated, but he's calculated, but Scott's very, very measured in how he goes about things. And Scott's always been about making sure that the association is taken care of, Um, you know, legacy wise, it's importance. Um, And he also understands uh, the importance that it is for the retailers focusing in on retail issues and ensuring that we are active in the States um, being successful in the programmatic aspect so that we can in fact have resources for um, state advocacy. Um, state advocacy has, has really started to, to percolate more and more over these past several years. Um, and as we get more successful in the States, the importance grows. And so um, mm-hmm. 
you know, I don't necessarily, I wouldn't call it shaking things up. I just will say, I think it's going to be a good natural progression from where, you know, John had to kind of settle and get us through it. Greg getting us steadily back to kind of in the position where we're at now to now where Scott can say, okay, in a measured way, where are we going to go ahead and improve or do things uh, new or better or different um, while still maintaining the integrity of the mission of the association, as well as the, the programs of the association that we've been doing for the past 88 years. So um, I, I think this was intentional, but the, definitely, definitely this last year, uh, 2021, we saw a little bit more of John, um, you know, uh, as, as Greg kind of took over the helm and everything. But uh, John, I felt, was largely absent uh, this past year and, and just vi- from a visual standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, is that is that by design or was that something that, you know, that he he wanted to make sure that that Greg, you know, was out there and, and, and kind of stood out on his own and everything. And, and how do you see, how do you see Greg's approach as he steps down and lets Scott take over? Yeah. So generally with the board designs like this, you know, your ex officio is there a support, you know, they have, you know, many, many years of um, knowledge and experience that they can bring in, but it was really similar, you know, and I know that it was the pandemic, but I mean, it was similar also in a sense when, you know, Ken Newman became ex officio, and, you know, John stepped into his role as well. So as ex officio, I think that they um, really take a concerted effort not to do anything to overshadow the new president that's coming in and to make sure that, you know, he feels supported and what he needs and that that you're there as an ex officio to be that sounding board or to provide some insight from, you know, your uh, number of years that you've been on the board and the executive committee. Um, so I anticipate Greg will, will follow suit, you know, Craig Cass did it for Ken Newman. I'm just speaking in my term, you know, now from what I've experienced, but Craig Cass was very much that supporting and sounding board for, for the executive committee and for Ken Newman. Ken, you know, was there in support as well for when John was in John deserved for Greg. I think Greg will do the same thing for Scott in that regard, but you know, really when you become president and it's your time, it's your term, you have two years and you know, you're going to put your stamp on it. And I think that they each like to do that. And, and the ex officio um, uh, respects that and understands kind of what they go through. Terrific. Well, Scott, uh, thank you so much for the conversation tonight and talking about last year's trade show and where we are leading up into this next trade show and beyond a lot of things coming, a lot of things to come, yeah. a lot of things still being worked out. So um, we're really excited to hear about what all these, uh, you know, all these possible changes will come and, and to fruition and everything. So we have a few more questions. They're all fun now. So you can relax a little bit um, and everything, but I do appreciate uh, you coming on here tonight and, uh, and uh, talking about uh, all the things that you guys have been doing again. And I want to make a point to just say, I think you guys have done a, a great job the last two years. I'm, thoroughly excited for 2023's trade show. I think it'll be um, phenomenal and I'm really excited to see what you guys do beyond that as well. And if it's anything like the last two years, I know it'll be, I know it'll be a success. So uh, congratulations on what you guys have done and, and, and here's to the future. Awesome. Thank you very much. It, uh, it means a lot that people do notice. Uh, we do work uh, very, very hard and uh, <laughs> we, we don't always, always, you know, you know, bat a thousand, but uh, uh, you know, I always, like to remind my staff of what my piano teacher taught me when I was little. If you're going to count the wrong notes, you got to count the right notes. And I truly feel that we've got a hell of a lot more right notes than we have wrong notes. And so I appreciate it when folks like yourself notice and, and uh, uh, we take it to heart. So thank you. Absolutely. So this next segment, I called this or that. It's just a little rivet of a rapid fire, Scott. So I'm going to give you two choices. You just pick one. 
Some All are right. cigar related, some are not cigar related. Uh, so I thought we would start with something cigar related. So uh, are you more of a morning cigar person or an evening cigar person? <laughs> Both. <laughs> I smoke I smoke in the car on the way to the office and I smoke in the evening after dinner before I go to bed and maybe a few in between there at the office too. I so you know um both. I mean really honestly. <laughs> is there is there one that, that kind of hits the spot like you know <sighs> That's really tough. If I had to pick one over the other I would say uh, I'll take my evening cigar cuz that's just my perfect way to end the night is just to have a cigar at the end of the evening and and just unwind. So Sounds good. All right. So uh to let's turn our attention to caffeine. Are you more of an espresso or a latte drinker? Um, probably more uh, latte than espresso, even though espresso is in latte. Um, yeah, like, I'll take my. Like, you like more cream in your coffee than not, not so much. Well, if um, that's a that's a tough one. I will tend to probably drink more lattes if I just get them at the store, but I'll make espresso at the office and or just straight black coffee at the office. Okay. All right, so fiction or nonfiction, you can apply this to anything, books, movies, whatever, fiction or nonfiction? Fiction. What, uh, what is it about uh, make-believe that, uh, that you enjoy? Man, I've been a writer since I was a kid. I love imagination. I love escapism. I just... You know, I, I do love to learn and I, you know, I read quite a bit of nonfiction, um, but I just I love being able to escape into to different worlds, even if they're, you know, this reality even, you know, but uh, I was always a huge fantasy and science fiction fan as a kid. And that's never left me. What, what do you what do you like to read for, for pleasure? Um, science fiction and fantasy. I mean, really, um, that's okay. what I've been. Yeah. Still, like you said, it's never left you. That's cool. Awesome. Um, Board games or video games? Board games. Do you have a favorite? Um, We play a lot of card games as a family. Um, And spades uh, and hearts or. Yeah, we've been playing like with the kids, like with old maid. There was an old game that, you know, um, called Rumi Cube. That yeah. I played one of the kids, so I got that over the holidays and playing that. So I, I I love that kind of stuff too. We play Uno. Um uh what are some of the other ones we we play? Um um Clue, you know, so we've oh, like a lot of those and so yeah. So um like even like the home versions of like Family Feud and stuff too. Um oh, but yeah, man. so so nice. yeah, yeah. I uh I played video games as a kid, but I've just I I've never been a big video game guy, so I love this board game. Uh, been in love with it for probably about ten years now. It's called Ticket to Ride, and we have yes, yeah, yeah. We, it's yeah. awesome. Yeah, we've had some epic battles of that too. My son's hilarious with that thing. Yeah, he wants to be a friggin' railroad baron, so that's fun. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Uh, there's so many variations of it. We have, we own two of them. We own the the year. Uh, we own uh, Europe, and we own the 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 uh, the original, which is the the United the North US American one. one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That so one's much. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, for people out there who don't know it, check out Ticket to Ride. It's awesome. You get you're basically building railroads across the country. It's it's fantastic. Yeah. It's a lot yeah, of fun. Yeah, it's a fun game. Um back to cigars. Uh outside smoking or inside smoking. I usually prefer inside, even though I froze a little bit today to go and smoke my cigar outside. I prefer inside just because I like to be able to control the climate. 
Um, but then again, on a beautiful fall day, having a cigar I, outside by the fire pit, I don't know if there's much better than that. Do you I'm smoke? Just, uh, do you smoke inside at your house? Uh, no, not if I want to stay married. <laughs> Sorry, I'm in the same boat, same as me. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, here's a deeper one. Predictability or excitement? Excitement. Can you elaborate a little bit? I, uh, I'm a very right brain person and, you know, creative and like the abstract and I like living in the abstract and, 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 and that regard. And so, um, predictability, um, kind of tends to, um, maybe depress me a little bit. <laughs> so I'm the, I'm the yin to my wife's yang in that regard. She's very, very much the opposite in that sense. And so I don't she's, know. I prefer, she's the, she's the planner. Yeah, she's yeah, yeah. She she I drive her crazy like on vacations and shit like that because I'm just like yeah, well, whatever, whatever sounds fun. And she's like, no, this time we're doing this, and I'm going to schedule this, and we're going to do this. And so I'm like, okay, just tell me where I need to be. So <laughs> yeah, create your own excitement yeah. at that moment. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Nice. All right, last one: uh, a food truck or a sit-down restaurant? Oh, that's an impossible question to answer. That is an impossible question to answer. I thought the last one was going to be difficult, but or more uh, deep. <laughs> this, um, is the, this is the clincher. I didn't even plan this <laughs> being that tough one. <laughs> the last one. That's a tough one. Um, because oh, I, I, you know, look, having gone to culinary school, I love going in and having the entire experience of sitting down and being taken care of by expert waiters and that's why i picked this i thought you were else. i thought i thought it was gonna be a snap call for you i thought you were gonna be like oh restaurant bear like, no so. but i gotta be honest with you some of these guys that take their craft to the food trucks especially now i mean when it first came out it was a little bit of a novelty but like well a lot of these guys um were like no shit i'm just gonna take what i know and i can just get straight profit because they're just pumping out great food at food trucks um oh that's tough because you can just get some phenomenal meals with food trucks but i'll go restaurant okay what is it about the restaurant experience that you enjoy so much? Like you said, the whole experience, like what, what is it about? Is it, is it, is it the pomp and circumstance? Is it the, like, it's a little bit about that, but I mean, look, you know, we're, no matter how much excitement I want, there's this aspect of humans, right. That you, there's, there's, there's ceremony to kind of what you do in multiple different regards. Right. But when you're going into it, I mean, like if a true good restaurateur is welcoming you to a, a hospitality home type of environment that they want to bring you into, they thought it out. They planned it out from the time you step in to the welcoming, to how everything is laid out. You have a chef that's in there with their kitchen. They have their entire palate there for them to be able to prepare for you what they want you to to go through and taste and in much the same way that a tobacconist should take you on a cigar journey or tobacco journey in order for you to to discover new flavors and new blends the chef and the restaurateur need to be able to take you on that same journey with you know as you're experiencing this food and food they're both so so intimate that it comes into it that i think that being able to have the restaurant with the lighting the wait staff what they can recommend what they prepared for you seasonal menus the 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 combination with pairings with wines and other drinks um you're just not going to get that experience at, at a food truck um even though you can get some just really great flavors out of a food truck it's pretty pretty straightforward. Um, but I just think the overall experience of a restaurant and what a restaurant tour puts into it, um, is, um, not unlike what I think, what, uh, what a tobacconist does at a really great lounge. 
Interesting. You you mentioned before uh, that you, you when in your youth you went on a mission for when yep. you with the church and everything. Did uh, were, do you mind sharing where you where you did the mission? Yeah, sure. I was it was Geneva, Switzerland. So I was in Geneva for about a year, but then I was also in France for about a year in, in uh, Lyon and uh, in a little city south called Valence. So, especially with France, I mean, I bet that just was awesome for from a food perspective. That's why I fell in love with food. I was the worst eater when I left, but when I got there, I you know really had no choice and and uh, discovered food and uh, fell in love with it. Fell in love with I fell in love with everything French when I was over there. What, for, the, uh, for the most part, <laughs> what was the uh, what like? What's your quintessential French dish that you just like just hits for you? Uh, something that I love to make. It's just um, chicken roulade. You, know, you, just, you pound the chicken flat and you fill it up, you roll it up, you fry it and you slice it thin. And um, it's good. I mean, normally for me, I'm putting smoked meat inside there with, you know, some pesto and some sharp cheese and you fry it up and for mine, it's smoked paprika and some toasted almonds within the, the panko bread crust and you fry it up. And then I put it with a jalapeno cream sauce over some garlic toast and a poached egg. Sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, honestly, one of my favorite things when I was in Paris in 2017 was awesome because I would go speak French with everybody in the restaurants because I wanted to practice. But everybody in Paris was speaking English because it's so international. So the Russian and the Spanish, you know, couple are there speaking English. Right. So because I spoke French, like they would like take care of me. They knew I was American, but they took care of me. Uh, but beef bourguignon is one of still my favorite things. I just I love the richness of that dish. Um, so and good. being there in fall and just the richness of it with the, the beef and how it's cooked and still roasted melts in your mouth and the, the, the flavor of, of the, the kind of the gravy for made from the red wine and everything. It just, for me, there's nothing better than just dipping a delicious baguette in that and eating it with a good glass of red wine. Uh, that that's, that's pretty much it. Where do the French get their beef? Is it, is it local or do they get it from somewhere else? Yeah. Uh, yeah. They raise some good cattle there and also Switzerland, Spain, maybe even some too. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Switzerland Switzerland has some phenomenal steak. Switzerland Ooh, has interesting. Some steak. Yeah. I never would have guessed that. Yeah. Yeah. They got some good cows they raise up in the uh, mountains there. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Had some had some good steaks in Switzerland. Terrific, terrific. Okay, well, this uh, this is our next segment, which is always brought to you by Asylum Cigars. Refuge is more than just a physical place. It can be a state of mind. Some of life's greatest reflections can be found in our own personal asylum moments like these were made for asylum cigars so light up an asylum and choose your refuge so scott this segment is entirely about you and you and in a cigar experience so you said you braved the elements earlier and you you smoked that crux and everything but and uh and you kind of alluded to another moment earlier as well so building on you know what we talked about we're just going into a cigar shop for fun what's a time where again it wasn't business it wasn't part of work it was just you and the cigar, you know, alone. Can you remember what, I'm sure you've had several moments like these, but can you recall one moment when what were you, what was the moment about? And if you can remember, what were you smoking? Yeah, this one is actually pretty clear. And this one kind of came to me a little bit easier. Um, I get to smoke a ton of great cigars, uh, given my position, as you can imagine. Um, so I was running through a lot of them, but this experience actually stands out uh, quite a bit. Uh, when my daughter was born, uh, I smoked the Florida Les Antillas. It had just one cigar of the year the previous year, right? So she's almost, she'll be 10 this year. 
So uh, I saw Yanni Garcia at the trade show this year, and they had the 10th anniversary of the Florida Lessentias that was there. So I was telling her about this, and she had a new one. Um, and so I saved it, and I put it in my humidor and waited until my daughter's birthday in October to smoke it. I was outside, and it was a perfect fall day on October 10th. Went outside, the fire pit was going, and I smoked that Florida Lessentias. And that is just a ridiculously phenomenal cigar, the 10th anniversary. It is just it's perfect. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, just a perfect, my father, um, the blend, it is just consistent and has the right flavor profile. And I just sat outside there at the end of my daughter's birthday, um, after everyone had gone to bed and just, you know, smokes my cigar. Um, that's one of the reasons why I love smoking cigars at the end of the day, you take a good stock and just, again, smoking it and taking stock of everything that I was grateful for and being reminded of my daughter and my family and, um, being able to enjoy that with a, with a nice drink. And so that was the, um, you know, that was just last October. Awesome. How did it differ from the the regular production? Obviously, obviously, it was a phenomenal experience for you. I was just, I'm just yeah, curious. yeah. Uh, I think this is a different size, and this one was box pressed, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. um, from the original Florida Lassentius. Um, And I got to be honest with you, I hadn't smoked it since that time that I smoked it when my daughter was born. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, and I, I still have the band. I made a promise to my daughter that we would, um, she, um, we're going to try to turn it into a bracelet for her so that she can kind of have that because oh, I smoked it. That's yeah, cool. I, smoked, I smoked the cowboy one when my son was born. Um, not that I, you know, uh, smoke everything from the, you know, my father factory, that's just kind of <laughs> the way that it was. Um, I've always been a, you know, uh, I was always a big Pete fan. Um, and uh, so I smoked the cowboy one when my son was born and his name's Cole. So that C and I've got these bands in this little box presentation that a friend of mine did for me um but i didn't have the florida's last dnts band and so i have that band now and so i told her we'd figure out a way to turn it into i said a necklace but then she came up with bracelet so we're going to figure out a way to turn it into jewelry so hopefully she can have it for the rest of her life oh nice that's beautiful awesome well that was our asylum cigars moment refuge is more than just a physical place can be a state of mind some of life's greatest reflections can be found in your own personal asylum moments like these were made for asylum cigars so light up an asylum and choose your refuge. So Scott, the time is here. It is the final question of the night. So, and uh, I know you've got an early day tomorrow. Thank you so much. Thank you so much always for your time. uh, And just uh, these conversations, they've been terrific over the years. And I really appreciate uh, you always coming and and, uh, just uh, providing some great insight into all the great work that you guys do at PCA. So thank you so much. Um, Anytime. So, this is PCA related, but I told you this is fun. So this is the Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust curveball segment. Fastballs or curveballs, it doesn't matter since the company's inception. Steve Sock has been knocking them out of the park. It's now eight. Yes, count them up. Eight consecutive years in the consensus top three. Congratulations to our good friend, Mr. Steve Sock. So PCA related. What is the strangest request that PCA has ever had to respond to? And this is a open-ended question as much as possible Scott. you could interpret it however you want but what is the strangest request the pca as an organization has ever had to respond to do make happen again it can be anything you know we, we it's interesting we've gotten a few of these lately um but people will just like fill out the online form um someone like sent something in it was basically like hey my friend wants to start selling cigars at a golf shop what does he need to do and there's like no information on there, like what state they're in, like, or do they currently have a shop? So we get a lot of those. Um, 
and you know, I th- the some of the ones are, you know, again, we're a nonprofit organization. We're not, you know, necessarily any kind of like law firm. But there have been times where people have like requested us to do things. Where we're like, we're not lawyers, and nor would we be able to do that for you because there's state specific issues. And even if we were lawyers, chances us of you know being in the bar in that state to begin with. And so, um, those are just a kind of a couple. As I think sometimes people misinterpret. Yeah, a, we don't get the information we need from them if they're trying to do something like the the first example or second one is, you know, we're not necessarily like a law firm or even like a lobbyist shop in that sense, though you could do that. You know, we're the nonprofit trade association that provides resources. So is there anything that like um, I don't want to like step step on the relationship that we have with the Venetia or any, or any other venue or anything like that, but a play like that a place like that has like made you do or made requested of us to do as an organization. There's just like, just didn't, not like the, not like the, the smoking thing. Like that's, that's a, we've, we've had that exhausted conversation, but just like you, that makes you kind of like curl your eyebrow. Like they want us to do what? <laughs> not, not necessarily. I will say this. Well, um, We've had more than a couple people that have been out of town visitors to DC that will look up cigar shops and they will find us and they think that we're a cigar shop and they'll come to our townhouse. And oh, (laughs) so so that's probably the only other one that I can think of. Um, Nobody's really asked us to, I mean, they they ask us stuff that I think that we probably mostly anticipate or would understand. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. Nothing, nothing, nothing that strange comes to mind. Okay. Yeah, yeah I just, I just thought it'd be a fun question because I figured, I figured that you guys get asked thousands of things or so many requests of in so many different capacities. I thought this would be a fun little avenue to go down. Yeah, I, and maybe it's just because I've kind of, I've, I've heard so many, so many different times now that like they're <laughs> normal to me, so they're maybe not just coming to me. So uh, awesome. Well, Scott, thank you so much for your time tonight. Uh, again, I really do appreciate it. I know that uh, I know that it's late there on the East Coast, and for you to sit down with me for a couple hours and uh, and uh, and talk about uh, all things PCA, it, uh, I know it's an early morning for you as well. So, but again, thank you so much for your time. Anytime, Brer. I really appreciate it. It's always good talking to you. And uh, yeah, so a uh, couple of weeks. All the stuff that I wanted to tell you. Hopefully, we'll be able to tell you in just a couple of weeks about the show, and then uh, look forward to seeing you in July, my friend. It'll be exciting. So, so check out PCA.org, everybody. You can check out uh, ways. No, that's to the Porsche Club of America. Go to oh, premiumcigars.org. Yes. Premiumcigars.org. <laughs> Excuse me. Premiumcigars.org. Uh, it'll be in the show notes as well. And you guys can check out ways to donate there. But uh, think about donating to the, directly to the pack. These are these go towards uh, towards legislators and lawmakers who are really making an impact for our industry. And uh, it, these are the people that we've built relationships and have uh, developed and and uh, and making great decisions for us and, and, and really looking out for the best interest of our industry. Other ways to donate as well are on there. And uh, if you just have any questions, you can always uh, submit some questions to uh, to uh, the, the wonderful team that we just talked about tonight as well. And uh, Scott will probably not answer you personally, but maybe he will. Uh, but uh, look for ways to donate. This is an incredible important organization. Uh, your membership counts for a lot. Donations count for a lot. It does a lot of incredible work. We talked about one of it, uh, ultimately coming to fruition just days before last year's trade show. Uh, 
many more work to be done. It's only the beginning and uh, it all starts here with uh, the work at PCA. So, uh, so please consider donating and uh, checking them out. So thank you everybody. Uh, for everyone out there, this was our 239th take. Yeah, 239 of these. Can't believe I've done 239, it's crazy. Uh, so for everyone out there, we've had a great time. Thanks for all those likes, shares and comments. Keep them coming. Check out our YouTube channel, which is also Elos for more. Every Sunday night, you can check us out on our Facebook page, Elos for more for our live broadcast of the show. If you are listening to us later, wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, or wherever you listen to podcasts, be sure you download, subscribe, and review. And if you are a, are a subscriber, do me a favor, hit unsubscribe, but don't forget to hit resubscribe because that really helps my numbers. Uh, and it can continue to allow me to get great guests like uh, Executive Director Scott Pierce of the PCA back when I want him. So thank you so much for everyone out there. <laughs> we'll see you soon. We'll see you next week. And always, I'm Bear Duplissy, live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azel, Texas. We'll see you next time.